Another edition of Noster News. Welcome, Max. Noster News. Thank you, DK. Excited to be back in I person. I love it. I'm glad, yeah. Always in person is more fun than uh, than remote. That's right. Although I am stoked, as some people may see soon, I've recorded a couple of podcasts. I haven't done podcasts in a while, in the last mm-hmm. couple of days. So I now have a new mic. So if and when we do need to do remote, yeah. when you're out of town and I'm yeah. in town, we have a mic. But still. And we played with your mic. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's like, like pro pro setup yeah. yeah yeah shout out to my girlfriend who got it for me so it was a really holiday happy. kind of gift yeah. it was my christmas present yeah, yeah. perfect yeah I, I was definitely too lazy to figure it out on my own so i appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> but irl will never be replaced irl is always right. the best right so when was the last time i always ask this when was the last time we got together irl was we right did, before christmas we did a mid-december ish yeah. late december okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah. And so since then we had the holidays. I think people were kind of mm-hmm. mellowed and slowed down a little bit for that. Um, we were traveling. We actually just got back. We were in Hawaii last week. Oh, so I we got that. yeah. You see my my nose a little burnt. <laughs> I thought you were just in, in mammoth like normal, but damn. Okay, that's, yeah. that's did you do any surfing? Uh, we didn't. We didn't get a chance to surf. The thing is, Jen has kind of her knee surgery. She's getting oh, all right. right. So she was like, I want to go somewhere where we can like swim in the ocean every day. So she's like, okay. Hawaii's great, and <laughs> that did. So we basically either swam in the ocean or a local pool every day. Nice. So it was a big, big swim vacation. Cool. Um, and I got a chance to do the second ascent of uh, Haleakala, which is the kind of zero to 10,000 foot, you know, cycling kind of. Uh, oh, climb. I didn't so, know that. I, I've heard, so I've only been to Hawaii once. It was for a friend's wedding in like Honolulu. So I didn't mm-hmm. get to like do too much exploration. I did go surfing, like, which I'm not a big surfer, but I took a lesson. Oh, it was yeah. super fun. Yeah. I loved it. But I've heard that you know, one of the reasons people love Hawaii is there's just incredible, I guess, mountains or hiking and cycling. Yep. Is that on the same island or is that a different island? I mean, they, they're each special in their own ways. We okay. were on Maui, uh, oh, okay. which has has pretty great surf breaks. Uh, they're really big in the winter on the North Shore, so mm-hmm. that's not our style of surf, but you yeah. know, kind of like the more mellow stuff. <laughs> You're on not out at Mavericks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's, I mean, there's Jaws. Have you heard of Jaws? The movie? Uh, Jaws is a famous surf break on the North Shore of Maui. Oh, okay. Piahi, I think, is the kind of local name. Nice. Um, but yeah, that was going off on you know, 20, 30 foot waves. It's like it's like a Mavericks type situation every every winter in January. Right? Nice. <laughs> cool. Um, so we didn't do that, uh, but we were you know out in the, the kind of the more swimmable kind of surf beach, boogie board, body board, nice. you know, that, those kinds of scenes. So it was cool. fun. Yeah, I'd love to go back and do Hawaii again, but do some more hiking. And I didn't get to do we, much we, of that. We did so. a brief hike. Through, I mean, geez, each each island has its own stuff. There's like the, I think it's, is it Waimea Canyon? The one on Kauai is kind mm-hmm. of a, they call it the Grand Canyon of Hawaii. Oh. It may have a different local name, I forget. But um, that's that's a great hike. Actually, Kalalau Trail on Kauai is another one that's like a epic hike. You know, cool. Steve, Steve's done it several times, and he's always reporting back to me. I've only done little bits of it, but he's <laughs> kind of done the whole thing. I think he did it with with the team recently anyway. Oh, nice. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, those ones are great. You know, cycling is great on like big Island and Maui hiking basically everywhere. Big Island is great for hiking. So, yeah. And this actually reminds me, you sent me a couple of weeks ago, right after the new year, the, uh, the Kevin Kelly post about doing the walk and talk. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. like and cool. for those who haven't seen this, the gist is pretty simple. Get a group of friends together, you walk and you talk for a couple yeah. days. <laughs> and he, he kind of curates the group. So I think he does, how many, is it like a dozen people or so? Something like that. Yeah. And they go to some sort of remote-ish location, but they keep it pretty budget friendly. Mm-hmm. And they, I think it's seven or 10 days or something. And it's yeah. kind of walk and talk every day and you build new relationships and you kind of eat together. But it's not meant to be like a, you know, opulent luxury thing. It's more meant to be like, get the right people together and just walk. I love Make it. that. 
a thing. So a couple things that brings to mind. One, we should definitely do that. We should get like a Bitcoin Nostra, yeah, yeah. which would be super fun. I was thinking maybe around here, but maybe we go to Hawaii and do this thing you're yeah, talking yeah. about that <laughs> Steve did. So that's number one. Number two, um, I mentioned this to you, but just to throw it out there to the, to the pod, uh, in 2018, I think, I had what I called Ideas Fest. And to this day, it was like the most fun, certainly one of the most fun three-day periods in my entire life mm-hmm. where I got a couple of my buddies. I was living in Mexico at the time, so a couple of buddies from Mexico, a couple of buddies back in San Francisco. And, um, you know, th- these were just friends of mine that for whatever reason, one guy from New York that I just thought they had interesting ideas and were working on cool stuff. And it ended up being just like, first of all, the people that were there now, you know, one of the guys was one of the GPT-3 authors. Uh-huh. Another guy was like really early in figuring out how a new way that cells are communicating with each other, sort of a biotech entrepreneur. Oh, wow. Um, and, and a bunch of other really just interesting out there people. And, um, we had so much fun to this day. I would say like we all had this, like it was only three days, but like this super special bond, like whenever we see each other, yeah. it's always, Oh man, the idea is fast. <laughs> so th- those like taking the time out. And did you organize that? Or I something? did. Yeah. Okay. I, I did with my buddy Roe, who I used to live with in Mexico, uh, who is himself an eccentric and fun guy. Uh-huh. Um, he, um, he, uh, had a place, uh, in Acapulco. And so we just did it down there. Mm. So Perfect. yeah, it ended up being like extremely cheap. Um, like obviously the place was free and, you know, I think food costs were all in like $150. We had very healthy meals. <laughs> anyways, it, it was, I, I've missed Mexico for that for sometimes, but, right. uh, anyway, so that, that was super cool. And then I'm thinking maybe this year, you know, I'd love to do some kind of walk and talk. I, I definitely want to do more kind of like purpose, like not just travel to travel, yeah, yeah. um, kind of burned out on like a lot of conferences and stuff. Probably yeah. won't do much of that, but, um, I want to find a way to get some of my companies and maybe some, you know, hackers I really like, maybe mm-hmm. some LPs together uh, in SF this summer. And I was thinking about also kind of doing like an AI Noster, another hackathon like we did last summer, but maybe a little lead time, a little more lead time. So yeah. we'll see if I get all that together, but uh, big plans, yeah, at least in theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I think, I think walking is such a perfect, I mean, just like gets you out of your normal habits of sitting across from somebody and eating, you know, having coffee or whatever, Totally, which is fine. Those are fun too. But I think when you're kind of side by side and trying to go from a place to a place and you just have like a different, there's a different feel. It feels less, it feels less focused in like a good way. You sort of explore the edges a little more. And I think one of the toughest things is to put yourself into situations where you are exploring edges and you're not just rehashing the common threads that everybody's talking about and doing it. You know, it's like easy to get stuck in the ruts if you don't push yourself to be outside of that. Totally. And and it's also healthier, right? Like I think there's something really to be mm-hmm. said for like walking does stimulate your thinking, you know? Yep. And actually an, another thing that just popped to mind in 2016 or something, a bunch of my, you know, college friends, we used to push to do a trip together every year. And sadly, you know, since COVID and we, we've just stopped, but one year we did go hiking in Patagonia. And so I guess it kind of was oh, that. Yeah. And it was so, again, so much fun because yeah, you're moving constantly. I mean, you know, we're getting in great shape after yep. a week of that. Yep. And uh, yeah, you don't, you know, yeah, you know, being forced in nature, no phones, that was critical too. Oh yeah. No phones. And all of a sudden all kinds of new ideas start bubbling up. Oh yeah. Well, well, speaking of walking and the pod, yeah, we should try, I kind of have a little experiment brewing in my mind. Tell me more. So, uh, (laughs) so while we were traveling, uh, you know, we, we ended up on kind of a a phone call with somebody that wanted to talk to us for the foundation no program. They were, you know, wanted some help with something and we sort of dropped everything we were doing, hop on the call and, and the things that we were talking about were things that we hear a lot. Mm. And I was like, why don't we just like record, record this? this. <laughs> and then we have something to share and we can just sort of make it. So we have this like actual, it's kind of a horrible video, horrible audio recording of me like driving around Hawaii for 40 minutes 
talking, you know, basically like recreating the conversation. Mm. And Jen is kind of prompting me in, and it's kind of a, a little bit of like a pod feel, but it's kind of in motion. I like it. And then the other day we were kind of doing the similar thing, uh, walking, you know, around the Presidio. Yeah. So, so I got a selfie stick and some clip on mics. Let's fucking go. So maybe see where this is going. See where it's going, right? <laughs> so maybe next time we do this. Yeah, let's we'll do it outside. Do it outside walking and see how it. that feels. See see what shows up. I'm super into it. I mean, I as you know, I'm a big walker, so any any excuse I can yeah. you know, to What's walk your typical miles. what's your typical steps? Your sets for steps. Well, interesting <laughs> interesting question because if you recall, you asked me that question about a year ago. Yeah. And I didn't know you could even track this. Um, I was technologically uh, behind, let's say. So I can tell you, my average steps, I'm, I'm a big walker now, over the last six months, okay, 14,097 wow. steps, big walker. Not bad, yeah. I've got, I'm down a bit, but I'm at 11,000 over the last six months. Nice. As a daily average. Um, you know, we when we sort of, I think the weather and, you know, the rain and stuff matters a lot. Yeah. Uh, Number of calls, which I'm trying to force calls to be walking yeah. if I can. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we sort of had a previous dog pass away mm. and that sort of stopped, that sort of led up some of the, the walking. But I guess we're actually past that now, right? So, yeah, we're, we should be into the new stuff. But it's, the new dog is, you know, too young to walk the same amount. And, you know, we'll, we'll get there, though. I, I'm expecting the poco, dog poco. brings back the walking. But actually, maybe the pod... Maybe, yeah, maybe a walking pod is like the answer. And if we do right. this, yeah, maybe we'll do it more frequently because you know we're uh-huh. out there getting exercise. It's good for you. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I don't think anyone's ever said, "Man, I walk too much." Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and so, and tell me a little bit about the pod stuff. So you sort of got this new mic, and oh, yeah. what what do you want to what do you hope to achieve with it, or what what kind of formats and ideas are you thinking about? Well, so the last two days I was doing, I was appearing on someone else's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, uh, I did it like a podcast. I don't do a ton of podcasts, but last year I did one with, um, last trade, um, this guy, Michael Tenguma and, uh, I think Marty Bent and Creasus, uh, they launched a new pod and you know, I, I like all those guys. So I was happy to do it. And then we had a great discussion, but theirs is, you know, very much geared more towards kind of like a, you know, more Bitcoin is gold investory approach, mm. which is less what I'm interested in. So that became more of a Noster and protocol discussion. Then they mm-hmm. decided, hey, we should do a Noster protocol, whatever, um, kind of making Bitcoin useful podcasts. And mm-hmm. so uh, anyway, so I did that one with them and that was fun. And then I did one with uh, Carr who runs Pleb Lab um, mm-hmm. with Kian down yep. in Austin. And that, that was also just, I really like that guy. So um, those were more kind of my traditional thoughts on Bitcoin and stuff. And it was yep. a good way to test the mic. But what I'm hoping is, you know, I've never really thought of myself as a podcaster. I still don't per se, yeah. but I love chatting with you yeah. and this is an incredible excuse for us to get together and hang out and yeah, chat. Yeah, totally. And then I like sharing it. And like, occasionally we get learn really cool things from people in the comments and you know, at the very least, you know, no one watches it, but we got to talk. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it's kind of like, you yeah. can't lose. There's no downside. Exactly. <laughs> and so then, um, yeah, so I started thinking, you know, obviously I like Bitcoin. I like Noster, I like all those things, but like, I like a lot of other things. And like I, one, one thing I'm trying to do this year is not get too myopic in my worldview. And, um, you know, I, this is what I joked about on the podcast yesterday, like, especially the Bitcoin, the asset thing came a point where it's like, I get it 21 million energy back. It's amazing. Uh-huh. I'm so sold. Like, I don't need another podcast ever to like say or hear that again. Right. The lightning and Nostra stuff is more interesting because there's, there's new ground being cut, but frankly, I'm interested in a lot of things. So I'm, I'm experimenting the idea of starting to do some interviews, maybe remote, maybe at my house or people in town on just whatever the hell I'm interested in. So I'm sure there'll be some Bitcoin lightning Nostra stuff, um, open source AI. I went mm-hmm. to a really cool meetup a couple nights ago. This is one of the beauties of San Francisco. 
Um, and one of the guys that y'all are friends with the Lum Index guys and some mm-hmm. of the people out there. And yeah, I met some really interesting people and one of them we're going to hang out next week, learn more about like his like kind of open source rag or like, which yeah. is like a, a way to take data and, you know, uh, put it into a model company. And, um, yeah, so there's people like that. So some of the open source AI stuff I want to go deeper on. Um, I'm also, yeah, I'm just interested in a lot of things. I'm interested in, um, uh, musicians or some kind of interesting beat makers, mm-hmm. like one that I really like a lot in Berkeley. I'd love to chat with him. He's a weird, interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, this is going to sound kind of out there, but I've been getting increasingly interested, um, with my girlfriend actually in ancient civilizations. Um, and so, you know, definitely went down the Graham Hancock rabbit hole mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other rabbit holes that that uh, sort of unearths. And so well, what is the, I don't know, Graham. What's you don't his, know Graham Hancock? No, no. What's his work? Yeah, uh, well, okay. <laughs> so he, he kind of got, I mean, he's been writing for decades, but he got popular like on a couple of Rogan episodes. Maybe mm. uh, 2019 was one of his bigger ones, maybe a few before that. My buddy Roe in Mexico is very into him. He's the one that turned me on to it. I've always been interested in ancient civilizations and, you know, as I call it in my Stacker News sub, which I've neglected, Ideas from the Edge. Uh-huh. And um, anyways, you know, his big theory, you know, he got really popular, really popular, more so than Rogan last year after he created a, uh, a Netflix show. Mm. And uh, you should check it out. It's pretty good. The thesis of the Netflix show got a lot of hate from archaeologists, which, you know, in, a, in an era where I'm trusting the uh, centralized sources um, less and less, probably a good sign. Um, basically, his thesis is that civilization, human civilization is much older than people realize. Mm. And that there was basically a big flooding event, as is, you know, written in the Epic of Gilgamesh and the story of Noah and mm. lots of different societies. And that basically, you know, um, the younger Dryas or something like that, he has done extensive research and like when this might've been, where it might've wiped out. And, um, his thesis, you know, there's some people out there that are a little bit, let's say more <laughs> throw sh- uh, shit against the wall and see what sticks <laughs> with the ancient aliens. I don't know about all that, but his thesis is more that, you know, a, a huge portion of the human civilization, maybe there was like one, maybe Atlantis or something else that was more advanced got largely wiped out, but not entirely wiped out. And so some of those um, people that survived were able to go and pass on. And there's like many images in Egypt and other places of like someone with like a a small bag. And he thinks that's symbolic of passing on the knowledge of the prior civilization. Mm. So that might include things, you know, around agriculture or potentially building, you know, pyramids or things like that. And um, anyways, it's just really fascinating. And, you know, I'm not saying it's all true, but, um, you know, I I like, I'm very much in the camp of, punk, renegade, DIY, everything. Yeah. That's why we like Bitcoin, Lightning, Noster, like right. question authority, you know, just because it's contrarian doesn't mean it's right. right. But um, but it's it's healthy for amateurs to be able to explore fields. And yep. so so anyway, so I, I think it's really interesting. And um I've also just been getting, you know, just pyramids in general. Like, you know, there's pyramids in all kinds of different cultures. You know, I lived in Mexico for a long time. And uh, you have the sort of flat pyramids of the Aztecs and the Mayas further down the peninsula in yeah. southern Mexico and Guatemala. You have obviously the pyramids in Egypt, um, which there's there's more and more I'm reading about that. Uh, Brian Romilly or whatever, the guy that's always tweeting about open source AI, yeah, yeah. he's put out some interesting conjectures about, you know, was it used as a battery or something? I, I don't know. But these kinds of questions are fascinating to me. And there's something weird going on, you know, that this structure emerged over and over. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I'm getting interested in ancient civilizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and Do you think about the Roman Empire a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think that much about the Roman Empire. I, I've been thinking a lot more about Mayans, the Olmecs that came before the Mayans. Um, I've been thinking a lot more about, yeah, the Egyptians. Is and, there a hypothesis around like which, which ones were most advanced or who had gotten furthest along in the technology tree? I don't know a ton on that. I mean, I think, you know... Um, 
one, I guess, common thing is the Atlanteans, right? Like that's something people have always talked about. It's referenced in Plato and, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that could be one, uh, one answer. I think it's certainly clear that in different societies, there were different types of technological advances. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, if you look at like some of the paintings or some of the drawings in Egypt or certainly in the Mayan, you know, ruins and whatnot, um, looks pretty psychedelic. Looks mm-hmm. like someone was maybe on a DMT trip to me. Uh-huh. And if that's the case, then, you know, I, I think one of my general, um, not exactly criticisms, like I, I certainly appreciate all that we have achieved with, um, with science in the modern world, but I think a sort of like materialist view is pretty limited. And I think there are many other avenues and other kinds of technology, for example, more mental technologies that, um, you know, the, the Vedas in India mentioned, you know, the, um, sort of Mayan lore mentions and anyways, all these ancient and the Egyptians as an example. So there's, there's a lot more, I think the ancient civilizations were exploring in different, um, different paths and perhaps our modern day science does. Right. Very nice. Yeah. And I'm also very interested in just watching the way that languages develop. Um, uh-huh. as another aside, I've been getting much more interested in, um, again, shout out, <laughs> my girlfriend got me a really cool Christmas present. We're supposed to go down and meet someone whenever we can make it work, but at the Santa Fe Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really interested in, you know, questions around complexity. And, um, there's a couple, there are a couple of interesting projects down there around studying sort of Mexican languages, Mesoamerican languages and how they developed. And, um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just really fascinating to see how, you know, concept- these are languages like not rooted in Spanish. No, no, no. Like pre-Hispanic. Are- okay. Um, so like whatever the, the Mayan languages, uh, the Aztecs spoke Nahuatl, I believe it's how you say it, Nahuatl. Mm-hmm. And, um, anyways, I just think it's really interesting to see, you know, language, is an embodiment of the concepts of a day, but it also is reflexive and changes the concepts yep. as well. And so it's really interesting to see, you know, in some cultures like the Eskimos famously have, you know, a million different words for snow or whatever, right. or white or something like that. I forget the details. Yeah. But yeah, so that's another area. So, so my hope is that just like whatever the hell is on my mind and interesting me, right. I can start recording some cool combos. Perfect. And you have some published already? No, I have not. Okay, you're just getting started. But, but I, I haven't done anything yet. And I've, I've been a little lazy on this, but I have done two, um, pods or at least saw the equipment works okay but we can't hit the subscribe button and smash the notification <laughs> you, bell there, there's no like button yet. to smash yet to <laughs> smash it and, and i have a bit of travel coming up in february so it might be march when things really get rolling but, oh cool yeah well I, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what you come up with because i think you know you always have like a you know a curious mind and <laughs> looking in <at> different directions <laughs> for better or for worse um no it's great uh and then i you know i think Playing with these formats of like, like let's try a walking pod and see how that feels. I think that I kind it. of stuff will be fun. What, um, you know, you are definitely one of the most, uh, I guess, sort of active and experimental podcast or content creators I know. What have you learned? Like what lessons, since I'm a total noob, I know there's like some technical lessons or whatever, like starting the YouTube channel, should I get on Fountain immediately? Obviously, shout out Fountain, we'll talk more about yeah. them. Like, yeah. yeah, what should I know as oh, a total man. noob? Jeez. Yeah, I, I think like... I, I certainly would consider myself still a total noob. I've only maybe been playing with this stuff for, I don't know, a year and change or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I th- I think I got way too complicated too early. Yeah. So I have like, you know, this fancy <laughs> mixer thing that, I mean, it's it looks purpose. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have too many of these cameras. I think I have like three <laughs> of these cameras. You got to get that side profile. I know. I should, you know, I don't even have them all set up. Um, it's just, we just like throw one head on here. Uh, cause I, I think it's just like, it's so easy to get super complicated and then it adds so much friction and weight to actually making the things you want to make. So I almost would say 
if you're like fresh, you've got this wonderful audio. Audio is 50% of the thing. Cool. It looks like it's video, but it's actually audio is 50%. You've got a great you know, piece of audio gear, sim- super simple USB, plug in, do the thing. You can do all the remote interviews you want. Um, having two mics is going to get more complicated. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think that's one. And then I would say like, don't even worry about, you know, the editing. Yeah. You know, you may cut some stuff out if you don't like it, but don't worry about you know, your bottom thirds and openers and stuff. Just let it rip. Okay. I think, I think that is, and I actually think there's an aspect to, to, you know, YouTube and podcasts that are changing and that are sort of more enabling or encouraging of that kind of, you know, more like raw, authentic, you know, information sharing, you know, unscripted, off the cuff type stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it's making a little bit of a, a moment. So I would say like double down on simplicity. That's, mu- <laughs> that's music to my ears. <laughs> and I wish I, uh, I wish I had given myself the advice before. Now I'm too knee deep in it. I was like, I don't know if I can do this today because I don't have the right cable to do the thing from that to that. But DK always makes it work. <laughs> A true engineer right here. We got it. We got it. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that's fun. And then I, w- I would like, I would play as much as possible yeah. with like stuff. I mean, this is just me talking, but like, like this idea of like the walking pod yeah. just kind of feels fun fun to yeah. us and i think if you follow that energy instead of trying to be like oh it's a podcast so it should have two people sitting across from each other with microphones blah, blah. like okay we get that that works it's good that works right. it's interesting but there's like there's infinite ways to find new stories tell new stories learn new things share the things you're learning it's yeah. not just like one way mm. and so i would say give your like like i told you i was I was driving and threw my thing up and hit record and, you know, got, you know, half hour video that we're going to publish out of that. What, um, for the walking pod, uh, or even this driving case, you're just using your iPhone as the camera or the microphone and the camera. Uh, yeah. So, uh, as I said, I often, uh, bias toward making it more complicated than needs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I kind of get, you know, start down the research path and then I learn about, Oh, well there's this tool. So, for the the one that we did already, we didn't publish yet. But for the one we did already, we just threw an iPhone up on the dashboard. Love it. Um, and it's kind of looking up my nose, and it's a little bit bad, you know, video quality. Beautiful. I'm I'm already excited. <laughs> I'm really selling this, right? Yeah, big time. DK knows. <laughs> um, and then you know, it's when we're going over like a bump or taking a turn, it like hits the microphone and makes all these clackety clack sounds, which I correct with an audio AI podcast improvement tool. Um, again, way too much complexity. So what, um, what I, what I think actually, I think the iPhone as a video recorder is wonderful and just sort of out in the field, you can do that. So we actually got a selfie stick that I think it comes today. Nice. And you know, it's not three feet long, so we can probably just walk and hold it and see how that looks and feels. And then we got these little clip on mics. Got it. Okay. And so I think we're just going to wear the clip on mics and I think the audio quality is probably fine. And if it's not, we can run it through the audio improvement. So, so wait, how does that work? So you you just put on the clip on mic, and then how is the data transferred? Like, where is it? Is it uploading? So I, I my understanding is it actually stores it on the mic. The on mic device. has its own kind of storage, and there's a transmission. So I think it also transmits to like a receiver. Beautiful, which could be your phone. And I think the receiver can connect to your phone. Love it. So. And would you yeah. recommend? Let's say I wanted to do. Let's say which I've been meaning to maybe host you and. Jen or whatever for dinner and we do a pod at my house. Yeah. 
what would be the super hood version I could do for mics there? Like these these clip on mics? I think I think these clip on mics would work. Yeah, I, I was down I was down this path about a year ago. I was like, I want to have dinner parties that we yeah. mic up and make just like clickety clang. You know the dash. You know the dishes hitting each other, but it's just it's just us eating together. Let's do it so that we're not like. We're not like on, yeah. we're, you know, it's much less performative when you're just eating and hanging. Right. Right. Um, n- not that, not that I think our stuff is super performative, but like it's def- it's definitely different. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely different when you're kind of just hanging with friends. So totally. I've wanted to uh, experiment with it. Somebody was telling me, I was uh, talking to some friends about this and they were saying, I guess one of the guys, I forget the guy's name, but somebody, some famous dude from Hollywood 20 years ago had a table for six. TV show or something that was basically this. He like kind of, he invites, you know, it's him plus maybe five people. They get together and they just kind of talk about, you know, Hollywood, the industry, you know, movie making, whatever, you know, but it's six voices coming together. So it's a little bit more, maybe the all in pod feel, you know, Mm. something where it's like a bunch of different perspectives, all mixing over the dinner table instead of just the kind of one-on-one kind of deep discussion type thing you know this is making me think of i don't know maybe it was a tweet or something i saw um can't verify if this is true or not but let's just roll with it saying that you know uh fashion goes in 20 year cycles or something yeah, yeah. so i think it's been about 20 years since justin tv maybe it's time for dk tv <laughs> so you're just like live streaming everything, everything you see <laughs> <laughs> could be could be um i want to play with a format actually where I feel like one of the things, and, and actually this comes up, this touches on the ETF discussion, which you kind of listed in some of the notes. Yeah. Um, I made a little video about the I saw ETF it. stuff. Well, I didn't watch all of it, but I saw um, part of it. But it was kind of just like, hey, here's my thoughts. Um, here's here's what I'm thinking, learning, et cetera. And it's not meant to be like a super scripted, but it's more an off-the-cuff kind of reaction to you know what's on my mind right now. Yeah. And... Um, I've, I've been thinking about in, you know, I think it's relevant to Noster, but maybe even easier for me to do in the Bitcoin space, which is like, I think, I think the, the ethos of Bitcoin today is, you know, I think it's very, um, I mean, it's, it, I don't know how to say this. Like in a sense, it's very serious. Yeah. I mean, which it should be, it's like money. Right. Um, so I think a lot of people are very serious about it. And then there's like, there's kind of jokers too but it has kind of this not super welcoming feel to it the toxic maximals crap yeah i mean <laughs> yeah I, I think there's like a purpose for it i get why it same, exists same, like same, same. i'm not a hater on the fact that it exists but i also think like like etfs for example right I make this little video about the etfs and hey here's how i think about it and i'm doing a little bit here with that and like and i get a bunch of comments and feedback like oh that's not real bitcoin like which piece i get it that's not real Bitcoin, but it's also easily accessible and gets people maybe the first step on a journey that leads them to real Bitcoin. Yeah. So instead of shutting the doors and saying, unless you unless you do it fully the way we do it, you're not allowed to be involved in Bitcoin. That's <laughs> obviously wrong, right? Because right. it's all voluntary. But I want to I want to help. I want to almost like create more stuff that helps people see that it's almost more like a welcoming, friendly voice toward how this stuff, like what role it plays, why it might be worth learning about, you know, a little bit more of like a a very intro. Like, do you know Matt Belez? He, he made this thing before yeah. called Hello Bitcoin. That That's was right. kind of yeah. a, 
I think he was like actually running it out of like local libraries and stuff. Oh, cool. But it was like a very friendly, it wasn't like, hey, you got to buy Bitcoin, it's going up. It wasn't this like, you know, typical stuff you might see on, I don't know, Twitter, YouTube, et cetera. But it's more like, hey, like here's the role, you know, here's some of the problems in the world. Here's some of the potential solutions. We don't recommend you buy Bitcoin right now. We recommend you learn about it. And here's some of the early intro to how you might think about learning about it. Yeah. So I, th- I think Pablo did some of this with his, whenever he would go to a new location, he would do a little bit of his own. Oh yeah. Like a little talk, little talk about it. Right. So that, that, sh- that brings a lot of thoughts to my mind. Um, the first thought I'll just say is I get why the talks maximalists exist as well. Um, and I will say, you know, I, I feel acutely the pain that caused that. Mm-hmm. And the pain is, you know, you just can't, like some people for whatever reason, like, and, and you know, there's differing degrees of people on time to do their own research. And there's also some people with malice or whatever, but like, it's so obnoxious to be lumped in with crypto. Like when I was at this, you know, open source AI thing, I'm always very careful, right? Like I don't want to be like, oh, I'm interested in Bitcoin. It's always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very interested in open source software yeah, and how we can yeah. monetize open source software with micropayments. And yeah. wouldn't it be cool if you have your own identity and then kind of like back into yeah. Lightning Network? Yeah. Because as soon as you say Bitcoin, people are like, Web3, crypto, and it's right, like, right. literally nothing <laughs> to do with that. So I, yeah. I get it. It's super frustrating. Um, and I've had some other people where, you know, just kind of annoying investors as well or just c- c- cannot make that separation. So I get it. On the other hand, you know, you said something which I think is very important. The whole point of Bitcoin, and I actually, you know, talked about this in my last couple podcasts, and gave a shout out to Drew Bansel from Unchain because I think he just said this really well. It's not a technological revolution. the The technology was necessary but not sufficient. It's just about bringing um, markets to all sorts of things. And I think part of that, part of a market that functions, is freedom of choice. And um, at the end of the day, you know. People should be able to make their own decisions for themselves. If you want to be super cypherpunk and super mm-hmm. hold your keys, amazing, beautiful, mm-hmm. totally, you should be able to opt totally. out of the system. Yep. You know, nineteen percent of people probably should never hold their own keys mm-hmm. unless the technology gets radically better because they're going to lose it, and that's mm-hmm. that's also not a healthy thing, right? So it, it's good to have a spectrum of mm-hmm. uh, technological solutions and content creators and all that stuff. And so I actually think you would be an amazing kind of like friendly face for Bitcoin because you get it, you understand all of the like why Bitcoin only, you understand what's happening there, um, but you're also generally just like a friendly guy. You're not like ornery, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, and, and you, you know the role that I could see that's kind of like open right now is um, Andreas Antonopoulos. Did you ever watch any of his videos? Yeah, yeah. I've seen his stuff. Andreas was the goat, man. Yeah. Like back in the day, man, I must have watched every single one of his talks yeah. when I fell down the rabbit hole. I remember the one where he's like preaching to like the room of three people or something. Bro, I mean, yeah, th- that man's great. literally doing God's work up yeah, there. Like yeah. he's up there helping people understand yeah. how they're getting scammed by the you know central banks. He's helping them figure out what makes sense and how they can hold their own keys if they want or, or and not if they don't want to. And he's just such a reasonable guy. Now, yeah. I will say, I mean, I don't love that he went down the like, you know, exploring other altcoins and stuff. I haven't with followed him. what what happened because I know he was a very early advocate and kind of a very like I'd say like a pretty good educator. But well, then what what happened? He was like, a very public guy and um, you know blew up right in the 2017 bull run. Like he was the educator, mm-hmm. and you know he'd been doing it obviously for years before that. I think yeah. he used to be out in San Francisco and lived all over. Mm-hmm. And then you know he kind of like tapered off. You know he got off of Twitter eventually. I think maybe in protest of. Um, uh, Elon, maybe, I, I don't know, but you know, before that, you know, he wrote many guides to Bitcoin. I read that when I was learning how Bitcoin works, he mm-hmm. wrote with, uh, with Lalo and Renee Picard, the lightning network guide, which is great. Like the O'Reilly, like technical book. He also wrote one on Ethereum and that like turned a lot of the Bitcoin oh, people off on him. And you know, he's very much open blockchains, which to me just means Bitcoin full stop. That's somewhere I've gotten over 10 years. Um, but 
you know, it is what it is. But he used to joke and call himself the Walmart greeter for Bitcoin. <laughs> and that's what we need. Someone like yeah, friendly yeah. that's like, let me see where you're at. Oh, you're yeah. not ready to hold your own keys? That's okay. Like, yeah. do, you, do you know where money comes from? Do you think yeah. it's backed by gold? Oh, you didn't know that. Well, hey, here's a whole rabbit hole you can right, go down. Right, Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I feel like is missing. And I don't know. I mean, I'd love, you know, send me links or ideas or questions or, you know, tweets or notes or whatever you're coming across that, um, that where you see kind of people who are asking the kinds of almost like, yeah, the Walmart greeter is a perfect <laughs> example, almost like the Walmart greeter use case, you know, cause I think to me, it feels like that's a huge gap and yeah. it, it would really help a lot of people understand what's going on here without the, like, like maybe some of them will graduate to be toxic mass maximalists. And I think there's a good role for that to play totally. like without that, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Yeah, no, I mean, look, shout out to the people that have been in this for 15 years now that, you know, keep this movement going, that build the technology. Um, But there's a role for a lot of people to play. Yeah. And yeah, and if that's that's not me, but I want to help in a different way, like that's kind of, that's what I've been thinking. So how do I figure out what can help people and what would be interesting and what sort of, you know, in, in kind of the Bitcoin space, that's just totally. kind of been on my mind lately. And, and, you know, riffing a bit more on the ETF thing, I mean, I, yep. I, I'm not like an expert in any of this stuff, but, you know, I'll say, you know, kind of some of my initial reactions I think are positive and then some concerns I have, and I'm curious your yep. thoughts on that. I mean, the positives. Number one, um, to your point, why would someone hold a Bitcoin ETF? I actually don't have any, you know, Bitcoin ETF yet, and I, I probably won't. But one thing is if you have a, a IRA or retirement yep. account, and there are ways with Unchained and other people providing ways to hold your own keys, which yeah. is amazing, but that's very high friction. Whereas yeah. if you just log on, um, well, I have Vanguard, so even if I wanted an ETF, I couldn't get it right <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, I think maybe like have some like micro strategy or something as the, you know, or right. block is like the kind of like Bitcoin um, uh, proxy there. But but anyways, but if, you know, it, it's just so much easier if, if you're used to going on, I'm sure it's similar f- fidelity or whatever, just like buy this thing, sell yep. this thing, take, took me like five, 10 minutes. Yep. And and that's great. And I think that's like a really important avenue, particularly for retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a whole new sort of uh, uh, channel for for capital and, and people to, to uh, enter Bitcoin. I think also, I mean, the more capital that comes in, <clears throat> you know, Bitcoin's volatility decreases over time. That's really important. If we eventually want this thing to become, you know, a unit of account and a medium of exchange, then, you know, volatility has to decrease. And, and the more capital, you know, the fewer single holders can rock the price either way. The better that is for volatility, the better that is for Bitcoin's long-term adoption. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Uh, I also think it means Bitcoin's here to stay in the sense that, uh, well, Bitcoin's here to stay no matter what, even if the government tried to ban it or something, they couldn't. But, um, you know, I always think about one of the magical pieces of Bitcoin is that it's it's a it's a form of alchemy for taking human greed or selfishness yeah. and turning it into cooperation, right. right? So basically the way I think Bitcoin or the transition from, you know, whatever fiat currencies to Bitcoin can work, and again, this is going to be a multi-decade thing, and yeah. I think dollars on top of lightning and all this stuff is a great transition step, blah, blah, blah. But um, it effectively bribes people. Yeah. Which is great. It's like, you know, you know, a couple of years ago in, in the last bull run, I don't think there were any, or maybe they just uh, gotten tapped on, but like senators or Congress people that were super publicly supporting Bitcoin. Now you've got the Wyoming Senator, you've got, you know, Texas, yeah, some from, yeah, Luma, right. yeah. And, uh, you know, I think even like a Democrat from Oregon, and then you got more Congress people. Um, and now, you know, you've got all these new folks that maybe now because of the ETF, it's really easy for, you know, well, I mean, BlackRock, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't get more mainstream than that, right? Yeah. So, so I think that um, it's very good in the sense that uh, 
the more people have some exposure to Bitcoin in some way, shape, or form, and the more the big financial players do, and the more the lawmakers do, it just every year becomes less and less likely that you can straight up ban it. Okay, so that's all the good. The bad, I'll say, Um, or at least maybe not bad, but the concern for me. I think net-net, it's a good thing. Um, I do wonder, you know, if I were (laughs) some, like, super malicious state attacker or whatever, like, what's, like, the social attack to do this? And I do think about, and I know this has been discussed a couple times on Stacker News, like, you know, uh, in the, I guess the offering talks about being able to choose a fork. I do wonder sometimes, like, is there going to come a day where they try and, and when I say they, I mean, let's say call it the big powers of the B Fidelity, BlackRock, all of them together, try and neuter the chain by having kind of like, you know, um, we'll only accept Bitcoin in here if it's the OFAC compliant mining chain. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the bad boy chain, it's a different chain. I think the bad boy chain or the, I'll call it the bad boy chain, but the free market chain, let's say still would win over time. Um, but, but it is a, it's, it's a concern. It can slow things down. It can slow things down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I I can see that as a, you know, I mean, the whole thing is about timeframes, right? Cause like, I think there's an inevitability on all of this probably over the, you know, like millennia. Oh, without a doubt. I was taking this century. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe over centuries, but like, you know, we're talking human life, we're talking decades, we're talking years, months. It can it can really slow things down, and yeah, I think I think everything is about timing, really. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so fundamental to how what is I mean, all this stuff around energy and value, and even it's a time chain, right? It's not a blockchain; it's a time right. chain. Everything really comes back to time. Yeah, and all these great ideas and all these risks are risks of time. Totally. And so if if the you know if the ETFs you know cause OFAC compliant forks and you know all that stuff probably just it it decreases consensus it decreases confidence it's probably not good for the long term you know the, the the freedom and the restructure of I mean I I think Bitcoin is restructuring society it's a new building block to kind of uh, make everything more transparent yeah and money is the first most obvious use case but I think everything can and should be more transparent. I agree. Um, and and so if if we delay that by decades, we don't get to see as much of it as if we can get it done in years. Yeah. Right? Um, so I, I think it's all time. I, I agree with your reason to be optimistic and kind of your, your caution and concern. I would say I, I think like the the... The reason that I see ETFs as a net good, which I think is also what you said, is that getting people exposure alone, even if it's just exposure, means that you're bought in and you're bought into the success and you become more curious, like, why did that go up? Yeah. What, what, What would cause that to go up? Like, you start asking questions, not everybody, but some people. I think, you know, number number go up technology is the <laughs> best marketing for Bitcoin. The rest of the like, oh, down with the state or, you know, or, or like be your own bank. And like these things, it's like most people are like, huh, I don't really want to be my own bank. Or, I like, or don't even know what that means. What does, it, what does it mean? And like, it doesn't sound like something I was looking for, but number go up. I was looking for that. Yeah, you know? exactly. So it's, <laughs> it's the best marketing. And, and I think once people get aligned you know, some set of people become more curious. And I think some people who start, I bet there's people who um, their first buy will be of an ETF. And within, you know, under a year, they will have, you know, full 
self custody. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And I and and they it might have taken them ten years if there was no ETF. Yeah. So I mean, so I I see that as a net good, and I don't think it's like stoppable. I think more more people on Team Bitcoin is better. Yeah, I agree. You know. Um, so, and, and by the way, one thing I wanted to add on there, and we don't have to belabor this in this podcast, but you might be interested in this and something I went, uh, in great detail on with, uh, Tinguma and, and whatever their new podcast is called is, um, you know, the thing that really gave me comfort with Bitcoin that got me a hundred percent bought in was seeing it as energy backed money. And mm-hmm. I think we talked about this a little bit before Buckminster Fuller talks about in his book, Critical Path, which I happened to be reading in 2019, which was just perfect timing. And uh, Tesla and Edison, all these people talked about it. Andrew Myers from Satoshi Energy was very early explaining a lot of this to me. And, um, you know, you, you can go as deep down that rabbit hole as you want. But, you know, I, I came out of the energy world first and foremost. One of the things yeah. that, I, that I see that I think this is somewhere actually a lot of Bitcoiners will disagree with me and whatnot. Um, but uh, they can go and check the interconnection cues and, <laughs> and the facts will speak for themselves. But, you know, I, I got into solar because the solar was just absolutely falling off a cliff when I got in around 2012, you know, 30 cents a kilowatt hour or something like that. Today it's like three cents a kilowatt hour in sunny areas around the world and keeps getting cheaper. Um, this is one of the biggest stories in the world. No one understands. And it's absolutely massive. Um, it's a sort of Moore's law style, style law called Wright's law. Ark Invest has written about it. Tony Saba, this guy out here has talked about it. Ramez Nam, who's actually an investor at, uh, at bright. Um, and his like buddies with Ray Kurzweil and all the singularity Institute guys, he's mm-hmm. been talking about it for over a decade. What's the best, is there like a single best? Primer oh yeah. I, I can say to, to, yeah. Well, there's a couple. One, uh, I'm very <laughs> obviously biased, but I don't know if you know this. I was the lead author for the uh, piece that came out from square oh, block yeah. and arc yeah. invest. And I laid out a lot of this back in 2021. It's called Bitcoin is keyed to a uh, clean energy, abundant clean energy future, something like that. Oh, good. Um, but if you want to just kind of understand some of these, um, some of these uh, concepts in energy, I would say Ramez Nam, Mez. He has a, yeah, just go to his blog. Um, his last update, he's done these models three different times in 2011, 2015, and 2020, and just kind of looks at how fast solar is falling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the TLDR is uh, the most bullish forecast, which has always been his, has always been too conservative every single time. Mm. Every single time. And does it have a, like you mentioned about 10 years ago, it was 30 cents. Now it's about three cents. So is it like order of magnitude over a decade? Is that kind of the rough pace and it's kind of on a similar pace? Like it'll be, it's, it's continuing to fall and And, kind of the same, like very, a very Moore's law. I think Moore's law was like doubling every 18 months or something. Something like that. I mean, I, it's, so depending on the data set you look at the, it's not based on time, uh, and this is something actually Ark Invest has written extensively about this. It's quite good. good. It's based on, um, it's related to time, but it's, it's based on the, um, cumulative capacity produced and then obviously, you know, deployed. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the learning rate is the, so, so in the energy industry, there's this concept called the levelized cost of energy, which is the like final cost per kilowatt hour, right. Mm -hmm. For any different energy source. And, you know, the, you can basically model, well, for every doubling of solar or whatever it is, wind or not gas, coal, hydro, nuclear that we put out there in the world, um, you end up with a more or less constant, uh, rate of the fall or decrease in the cost of levelized energy. And so, um, yeah. So, so anyway, so it's, it's been falling, you know, Ramez thought it was like 20% back when he made all of his models. Um, depending on the data set you look at, it's like actually been like 30 to 40%. And it's actually been following since like the 1970s when it was created at very, very similar rates. Oh, wow. So anyway, so that's very interesting. And of course, the big problem with solar and with wind, although you can use them to balance a bit each other, is that they're intermittent. So if the sun doesn't shine, you don't get energy. But um, what I think a lot of people are absolutely sleeping on, there's a lot of talk in the Bitcoin world about nuclear and about, 
you know, energy density, and that's all fine, well, and good. But um, there's actually, if you listen to Elon, I think when he was on the All In podcast, he kind of just poo-poos all of that. It's like, look, nothing's going to be able to compete against solar plus storage. Hmm. Elon gets it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a fact like gravity. And um, what is really interesting to me is because the more solar you produce, the cheaper it gets. Storage has been coming lithium-ion batteries at a similar cost curve called like 20% per kilowatt hour, something like that. Uh, I'm less familiar with the recent stats on that, but basically mostly due to EV use cases. Or? Yeah. EV is a big part of it. Um, EV, but also, I mean, like Tesla puts its, you know, power walls, they have the residential, but they also have a business where they basically go to the, you know, industrial and commercial, um, like big off, off uh, grid or not off grid. Usually it's grid connected, but big uh, industrial scale solar sites or whatever, and they'll have storage as part of it. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, Tony Seba and this guy, he has this think tank three think X. He did some interesting modeling where he was like, well, what happens if you just like overbuild solar? And there's like a different curve you can look at where you can say like, well, what's the optimum amount if I want to like build, like I only need whatever two gigawatts, but I build four gigawatts and have some storage in there as well. You can charge the batteries faster at that. And, um, and it has also the unintended consequence of driving down the levelized cost of energy for solar even faster. So that's like a whole rabbit hole you can go down. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely fascinating. Very few people in Bitcoin understand it. But the beauty of it is that what I think is going to happen over time is we should keep building more and more solar and storage. Those are going to keep getting cheaper. And basically you're going to have like the uh, electricity where the marginal cost approaches zero. Mm -hmm. Um, It's never going to go to zero, but like that means you can do all kinds of interesting things with it. One, use Bitcoin as the buyer of last resort. So basically you're going to have free markets for like, what do you do with this really cheap electricity? In real time, you'll have software that says, well, for every electron, do I sell it to the grid? Do I sell it to the miner? Do I sell it to everyone that's concerned about energy density and use for, you know, uh, sort of like petrochemicals and that sort of stuff. Um, there's this whole thing called electrolysis where you can basically create green hydrogen. So you literally take water and you create hydrogen out of it. And the big cost there is electricity. So when that's, once that gets really cheap, all of a sudden you can now create these green fuels. Then there's desalination of water. Like that's going to be a really big use case for all this stuff. So the cheaper stuff gets, um, and you're already starting to see some of these green hydrogen plants go completely off grid. So what's interesting there is something that a lot of uh, people also understand is you can actually go and look at these different grids. Uh, ERCOT's the big one in Texas as an example, and see the interconnection queues, which is all of the projects that are applying to get permitting. The, the biggest um, block to all of this energy getting super cheap, super fast is permitting. Because the grids, you know, some of it's like political bullshit, you know, not in my backyard. NIMBYism right. is a huge problem. Um, our grids are also very dated. We don't have nearly enough like high voltage DC connectors to make a continent scale grid, which is what we should have. Eventually, uh, a world size grid would yeah. be the, the real dream. That's what Bucky wanted, Bucky Fuller. But, um, you know, if you look at these, the interconnection queues, even like it's not a political issue. And I feel like sadly, because there's you know some political leanings in Bitcoin, the green energy thing or whatever you want to call it gets, you know, uh, unfairly examined. Um, Texas, <laughs> there's no political sympathy for this stuff, right? The entire interconnection queue, like over 80%, probably over 90% now is solar storage and wind full stop. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. You're saying and that's what, that's what Texas uses today. No, that's what's in their interconnection queue in ERCOT. I think their actual usage, I don't know if it's like you 20, say their 30%. interconnection queue. These are people who are applying for permits for people that new- say I have the financing ready and I want to build this big, um, solar farm or this wind farm or this huge, basically battery. Mm-hmm. or a combination of those things at this site. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, um, the interconnection queues are all solar, wind, and storage because that's what's really cheap right now uh, and will continue to get cheaper. And yep. so, yeah, in the long run, what I'm really excited about is, you know, h- how do you how do you break that bottleneck? Because a lot of it's political and permitting. And so you're starting to see some people that are building solar projects directly connected to green hydrogen off-grid. Hmm. And because it's cheap enough, you know, you may be able to justify the cost just making it when the sun is shining. 
And eventually what I think you'll have is like microgrids hooked up to that. Maybe Bitcoin miners are brought in first to finance it for the first years while you're building the green hydrogen. So it brings the cost down and it's all about crossing tipping points, right? Like when we went, you know, into Mexico with Bright, it was literally just like looking around the world. The countries looked at were Mexico and South Africa and just said, well, where did solar cross on its curve on its cost decline, the cost of grid electricity in a specific market? So one by one, as it gets cheaper, you open up new markets, new possibilities. And I think, um, yeah, we could riff on this forever, but, but I think one of the biggest takeaways, and again, I shouted out many times in the last podcast, but I'll shout him out again, is Drew Bansell. He called all of this in 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2018. He has an excellent talk um, called Blockchain Mind Candy. And he has this conjecture called the Nakamoto point. And the conjecture is very simple. The conjecture is there will come a point where the marginal cost of selling electricity to the grid equals the marginal cost of selling electricity to the Bitcoin network. And that's where we stabilize. And probably forevermore, <laughs> we have some percentage as GDP grows, which is a proxy for energy. So we've mm-hmm. talked about, you know, some of my thoughts that Bitcoin is energy backed money, the whole, the only currency of the universe, the known universe is energy full stop. And so um, there will come a point where, you know, there's probably some constant ratio or percentage of global energy production that is necessary to secure the money supply. And I think gold, uh, I couldn't find this article. I was looking for, you know, for the last podcast, but there was, I think some gold standard guys to kind of speculate about what this percentage was when we were on the gold standard, because mm-hmm. gold is a proxy for energy. You had to have the miners to yep. get up, blah, blah, blah. And, um, but now we can potentially get empirical evidence for that in our lifetime. So right. I'm quite excited. That's awesome. And yeah, are I know, you, I know there's a lot there. <laughs> are you, I, I know that you've invested, you, you know, kind of your day job, you're a venture capitalist, right? So you've invested in a lot of kind of software and application layer mm-hmm. things, but it feels like there's a whole bunch of commercial opportunities in, I don't know, energy, mining, that whole, and, and it seems like it's very dynamic, changing very fast, probably very capital intensive. Like, yeah. is that something you... Well, I've made a couple of investments here. I mean, I've invested in Satoshi Energy was my first one. um, And they were the first ones to see this. And they do, you know, some services and sort of like a marketplace for uh, miners and renewable energy asset owners in in West Texas, mostly uh, in Texas. But like they have a lot of congested wind out there. So like Mm -hmm. 30% of the time or something like that. You know, by the way, the way way electricity works, you can't just get rid of it, right? Like you have to like, you have to do something with this uh, this power that you're producing. And so in West Texas, the way the tax credits work, when the wind is blowing, the grid can't take any more electricity. They just like will give you negative power prices. So mm-hmm. they'll like literally pay you to take the electricity. Think about mm-hmm. how crazy that is, right? So in those cases, if you can hook up a Bitcoin miner, it's just like free money. Right. Um, so they were the first ones to kind of really see that, I think, and, and kind of go hard into that. Then Sonoda, um, which is another one that's doing kind of like, and Satoshi does a little bit of this as well now, but Sonoda has been really focused on real-time settlement. So basically selling electrons and streaming them for Satoshis. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting because then you can do some really fascinating things in the industry where, um, you know, miners often, uh, they have credit troubles, right? Like they can't get built because <laughs> it's like these like cowboy dudes right, yeah. and the bank's like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> and so they'll try and get like a letter of credit from the bank or whatever. But if you can, um, do real time settlement, right. And so you can literally just like, Hey, as we sell you an electron, you, or whatever, every 15 minutes, whatever the settlement time is, you give us some Bitcoin and maybe on the back end, we're using river or strike or whatever. And we just auto convert that into dollars. Cause we don't know what the hell Bitcoin is yet. Or right. maybe we keep 98% dollars, 2% Bitcoin. Cause we're dipping our toes and mm-hmm. we just bought the ETF. Mm-hmm. Um, then, um, then all of a sudden, you know, the credit risk goes down, the cost of financing for that uh, goes down as well. So that's that's like a very interesting play. Right. The, and then I've also done one really out there kind of crazy one. Um, 
uh, I don't know how much I can say about this, but this was actually like, I think Founders Fund has been really involved in this one. They've been involved in a couple, including like Crusoe, which is methane um, mining and stuff. Mm -hmm. But basically like some like completely radical alternative energy from um, different sources. I think that stuff's interesting too. But I, if I'm going to make an, I I really love this stuff and I'm open to doing more investments, but I, I have not gotten comfortable like investing in individual miners or like CapEx intensive stuff, partially because from my own experience, right? Like Bright, you know, knock on wood, it's still going. We raised a series C last year, I think. And like, Mm -hmm. that's great, but it's taken a decade and it's like, it's a long capital intensive business. Like you're not like, you know, zero marginal cost distribution, like drilling holes in people's roofs. So it's, it's basically like Sunrun and Sunrun's kind of like one of the best performers and it has, you know, uh, solar city obviously kind of got bailed out by Tesla and stuff. So anyway, so it's, these kinds of models are interesting, but very competitive very capital intensive, take a very long time. So I haven't gotten comfortable as a venture investor doing any of those deals, mm-hmm. but I will do deals that are like marketplaces or software around it. And if I'm wrong and someone can prove to me that they have like some unique thing, I would love to be proven that. And if you think you can get venture scale returns, then I'll take a look. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I know there's a lot there. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> energy. I mean, we could, yeah, we could do another, we could do an hour on energy. A couple hours probably. Um, should we turn, we got a list of some things. Yeah. Totally. We, we totally went off. So yeah. So we got some Noster stuff. We got a <laughs> bunch of Noster topics. Noster news, and we've yet to mention Noster. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess w- what what from our list uh, grabs you? Anything, anything in particular? A couple things I want to mention. I mean, a couple of new projects have come out. Um, one is um, Flare. I think that's what's called, right? Yeah, Flare. Flare. Pub. Pub. Yep. Um, I don't know a ton about this yet, other than um, it seems to be somewhat of a YouTube replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I went on there and played just a little bit with it. There's, you know, some content and uh, it's easy to tip. So that's really cool. I'm glad to see people are thinking about other media types. One thing I didn't fully understand is it says that you can either, you can host it wherever you want. Um, so I didn't try uploading. I don't know if they just like default to um, Nostra.build or someone else mm-hmm. or if, you know, you can bring your own. But um, yeah, I mean, it's cool to see people playing with video. Right. So it, it, it sounds like the, all of the data, is it pulled off of relays? So uh, this is where I, I'm not sure okay. what's happening in the background. We should learn more. But my understanding is the video data is not. Like the video, right. the itself, video data is off like a Nostra.build or some other media server. Exactly. But, but everything the, like, else is an all event. All the metadata is yeah. an event on Nostra. Like, you know, hey, view is probably uh, an event or whatever. Zapped is an event or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And do you think it's, is it more about zapping to pay creators or is it more about like, it's, it's not so much censorship resistant, I guess, or that's, well, I think it is censorship resistant if you, I mean, if you have a, like, like yourself hosting it as an example okay. or whatever, yeah. in the sense that I guess the lookup, you know, there's still many relays that can point to wherever you've hosted it. Yep. But I, I think that my guess, I don't know how like in practice censorship resistant that is, probably not very yet. But um, I think, yeah, the the tips are probably the big mm-hmm. the big breakthrough so far. Right, right. And anyone, you know, if the creator or someone in the audience knows more about this project or whatever and wants to leave comments, like, yeah. I'd love to learn more about where it's going. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, I guess that touches a little bit on some of the Stacker News territory stuff, which has, it was oh, also yeah. very kind of let's say tips or payment oriented um you know kind of micro payment oriented around media and also um, uh, stacker news for those of you who don't know you can auth in with Noster mm-hmm. and choose to cross post a Noster relay so it, it is already somewhat of a Noster client right and i i actually started the videos territory oh, on that's right. stacker news yeah. because i'm kind of interested in this 
kind of idea, yeah. like broadly. Um, but of course, that's you know by design a centralized place, decentralized money, but centralized kind of uh, media kind of hub, let's say. Um, but you you were you want to talk a little bit more about territories? Yeah. Well, so I mean. For those of you who uh, tuned into our last podcast, DK and I were both extremely excited last yeah. time, and I think remain very excited about Stacker News in general. But last time, um, Kian had just launched uh, Territories, which are like use your own subs. You can launch your own sub, pay for it, get your own, um, set, your, set your own economic policies and make money on it. And then also moderate it as you see fit, if you wish. Um, you can either choose to be a mod, like to moderate it or no moderation. But um, I think we were extremely excited because, you know, Kian said he expected like 12 (laughs) territories and there was like 75 or something really quickly. Um, Since then, we've both moderated at least one sub. I've I've had a couple. And it seems like a lot of the subs have churned out. Not a lot, but like maybe, I don't know, a third at least, maybe two thirds um, have churned out. Um, And, you know... I'm curious just what, what you've seen, like what your thoughts is. I know there was a huge early hype cycle. Things have chilled out a little bit, but a lot of the territories are still doing pretty well. What have you learned at just both using these subs, moderating a sub? What's your impression? Yeah. I mean, I, I think with a new idea like this, it's going to get a lot of excitement to begin with. So right, right out the door, <laughs> people are going to be like, wow, awesome. Let me just play with that. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I was kind of just like, okay, cool. Like I've, I've always been more interested in like, how do we make video work better on the internet and like kind of the curation and signals and stuff like that. So I was naturally drawn toward like, let's just, you know, there's a video thing on Reddit that has a lot of activity in its own kind of point of view and taste. Let me just see what that might feel like here. So I made that and I, I have, a lot of times when I'm trying to post something that I'm interested in, it's actually relevant to another territory. So it's already been posted and I feel like a little bit, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to post a dupe, like just to have, you know, just to like make the territory that I'm working on kind of nurturing. Um, (laughs) you know, so, uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm not sure like what taste layer I should use. And I even solicited some feedback to see that because, uh, you know, is it just everything that I'm interested in? I was hoping to like, I share what I'm interested in. I get stuff from what other people who are using Stacker News are interested in. I think the early Stacker News community, probably enough overlap, you know, some like Bitcoin centric videos that might be interesting Um, or just other, you know, I think I I listed, you know, other stuff around like philosophy or uh, education, art. Um, So any of those kinds of topics, but I haven't, I haven't really figured out how to, make it work Mm. for it it might just be that it's early but i'm not sure like is it like how much of it is my taste versus (laughs) how much of it is soliciting taste yeah and how much of it even is taste versus just like like a a hub that is almost more like a neutral taste I, i i think it's supposed to be more taste oriented uh but i i don't know so i'm i'm still trying to think through and understand that but um but I think part of the connection to Noster is it's kind of very easy to find a bunch of stuff quickly. Yeah. Uh, but you can easily cross post. And so like ultimately every one of these canons should be an event, I think. And then, and then second itself is kind of just a client. It happens to have an algorithm. Maybe someday that stuff could be open sourced, but it helps us like view and discover new stuff and kind of get bumped into new 
ideas, new content, new people that we might not otherwise, you know, might have to like go through a discovery process and follow stuff. Um, so I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out like how to, how to mod or how to sort of nurture a, um, a new, uh, <laughs> a new community, a uh, new, new territory on, uh, on Stacker News. But, but I see some that seem, I think the more niche they are, like the more they have kind of a, a more specific focus, I think the better they do. Yeah. Um, so actually, and the one that, that was grabbing my attention was, I, I forget what it's called. Something around like ask a question or do you know ask that one? Stacker News. Ask Stacker News. Yeah. Or ask SN. Yeah. So it's kind of like both general, but also it has a little bit of a taste to it. Yeah. And, um, and that's, yeah, I think it's like a bunch of provocative questions, you know, interesting, you know, ideas that are worth exploring. So to me, that's the one that I've seen that I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a good, this is a, an example of what like a good territory mod would look like. Um, but I, I don't think I've recreated that magic. Maybe I haven't put enough of the right kind of energy <laughs> into it or what. But. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. So so one, I think, you know, to your question about taste, I think it's it's whatever you want it to be, right? If you want it to be neutral, it can be neutral. I tend to think having a point of view and a taste is better because if someone doesn't like that, they can always go start yep. their own territory and, and create their own taste. So I, I think you should lean more into your taste. I think you have exceptional taste. So, you know, I'm sure there's other people out there like me, but uh, if you're out there and you like it, come, <laughs> come to DK. But I, I think there's two things. One is I think it just requires like to get something off the ground. Like frankly, just a lot of hustle from the person owning mm-hmm. it. Like I own now four of these territories, which is kind of ridiculous. And but part of my thinking was there, if it takes off and I have time, cool. If not, you know, sports, soccer news, whatever, it's all yep. good. Um, but I, um, you know, I, I think one, if you really, if you have like a labor of love and you're willing to be the one posting there every day, that's, that's one way to ensure it, it succeeds. Like the people want to see it alive. You never know what's going to get it popular. And then if it gets popular and then it appears on the front page, all of a sudden more people discover that's even a sub, they start looking at it. So I think one is it probably just takes a lot of like elbow grease for the first yeah. couple of months is my guess. And like, and when I specifically mean elbow grease, I mean you posting interesting things yep. Two, I've seen in terms of what you post. Like I had the hip hop sub and I was really into it for a while and I've just gotten, you know, lazy with it recently, but you know, I was just posting music I like, and I, I, you know, may keep that sub just cause I enjoy it and it's fun for me. Um, but you know, I think what's done better and I think, um, some people, um, have talked about this Elvis Mercury is a major user mm-hmm. there and Siggy and a few others is that they prefer, um, not just like sharing a link, but like sharing like some, some like thoughtful yeah. question or insight yep. with the link. And, and that probably does work better obviously than the amount of work it requires goes up a lot. Right. And so, um, you know, probably quality over quantity is better. Um, but I think sharing more insights along with the link or whatever you're sharing is, is one way to definitely get a lot more engagement. Yeah. The last thing that I've seen this work really well in a couple of these subs, including ask Stacker news, but a few others is just asking questions. People seem to love reflecting yeah. on Stacker yeah. news. So I think, um, it's something I have not put as much effort as I could into, and maybe I'll just reduce in this next one, you know, one or two subs so I can put a bit more time in there. Um, the other two thoughts that come to mind, number two, is that in order for a uh, sub to flourish right now in Stacker News, it needs to be kind of like adjacent, maybe like one step away from Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that's just because that's, it makes sense. That's the early community. Yeah. Yeah. And so the sub, yeah, the subs that seem to be doing very well right now are obviously Bitcoin, obviously tech, Noster, um, you know, some very niche, but Bitcoin niche communities like Fediment mm-hmm. um, or, you know, uh, a couple others sort of like that. Uh, econ seems to be doing yep. very well. 
Um, is that Kevin doing econ? No, actually, I don't, I don't know who it is, but Kevin has another one. Um, I've seen, he's been really active with, like you mentioned the questions. I think he's been good at sort of stirring the pot with provocative questions. He has been very good at that. And I, I even saw him trying to buy books and articles off Siggy 247. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that's the actual name, but whatever. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the closer you are to that uh, early kind of core of Bitcoin adopters, probably the better your sub will do. Um, culture I've been very impressed with that's really popped off. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of like generic enough that it kind of covers anything that's not, um, Bitcoin. What's interesting for me in this last cycle. So I had this ideas from the edge, which I've just kind of neglected, but it's like, that was one, my idea was it'd be kind of more taste of the stuff yeah. I want to, maybe if I do podcasts, I'll post them in there. Um, I've got hip hop, which is a passion project and you know, I don't care if it succeeds or not. I just, I just like it. Yeah. Um, San Francisco, which I have kind of neglected is probably not enough people yet from the Bay area. I think it could be big one day. But uh, interestingly, open source has started taking off. Oh, good. And um, not like huge, but we get a couple of posts there a day. I've done very little. Um, but I think what happened was we had a couple of people asking interesting questions, like why did Linux win as the sort of um, distro for the cloud and um, or the operating system for the servers in the cloud. And and um, that got, a couple of those blew up pretty big. And then people realized there was an open source one. If you're into Bitcoin, chances are you're into open source. So that's been kind of cool to see. And uh, yeah, I, I expect more of those. I, I guess one question I have for you is, I was having this discussion with a few people. How long will it take for Stacker News to go mainstream? And obviously you can't just like skip ahead. You know, you've been very vocal, and I think you're probably right about us doing more with AMAs and stuff. And maybe for these other territories, like if we did AMAs, like if I did with like a hip hop producer yeah. or, you know, whatever, some open source contributors, maybe that would do very well. Um what do you think is the path from going to this kind of niche community, which is extremely vibrant? I think the best Bitcoin community online mm-hmm. yeah, agreed. to mainstream. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it feels like AMAs are the thing because yeah. it's sort of the pattern. It's, it's what I think grew and continues to grow Reddit itself a lot is through the AMAs. Um, and effectively, like, you know, a lot of podcasts are AMA. invite <laughs> somebody who's got a perspective in the world. They're, you know, launching a new book or they've got some reason they got like some thing to talk about that you know they want to talk about the world wants to hear about and you keep kind of like mixing new kind of focal points in and that you know there's people who come because they heard about they want to hear about that new book or whatever the the topic is but then they stick around because there's other good stuff here right so i think that pattern is just like common across you know let's say you know reddit itself plus podcasts kind of that you know very common pattern I can't imagine that wouldn't work here, and I I feel like that's a very likely one. Um, and I also think it's like a good way to demonstrate to the broader world that you know that the zaps and payments in this context can work and do work. Yeah. So, you know, you get somebody who's like I think he had he done I think I think Kean did a bunch of AMAs like a year or two ago, like a while back now. But I, I feel like I don't know Jimmy Song or you know some kind of recognizable Bitcoin name people were there. Yeah. Um, they used to do them at least every week, one or two a week. Right. And they did that for many months and it was extremely successful. And, and why, why did they stop? I feel like, I don't know, but I feel like they feel like maybe they tapped a lot of like, they got a lot of people, maybe, you know, 60, 70% of the big names, you know, in Bitcoin. Oh, but there's always more. Exactly. I mean, look, just take, take, we, we should push Kian more on this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, take, uh, take, I don't know. Take Peter McCormick's yeah. podcast and just like look at everybody he's talked to and be like, let's do a community thing, right? 
Kian and or Kevin, if you happen to be listening to this, <laughs> we want more AMAs. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I love to. I'd love to see what you know wh- where that can go. And I think you know, similar to like what you said with your podcast project, is like once you get started, then you find some other thing. Oh, I want to go about history or ancient history or you know, I don't know, the Aztecs or pyramids and <laughs> energy and mining in those markets. So I think once you kind of get started you can go in a lot of directions yeah um but i think it's not a i I think maybe growth is not the priority right now so maybe that's part of why they're they're not pushing on that but um to me i think it's a it's it's like the obvious path for how you grow a site like that yeah um and and i think growing a site like that actually will contribute to noster yes in a big way and i think i mean just the 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 vibe of how kian is and thinks about this I think it. I think it is very adjacent to Noster. Yeah. You know, in in the same way that, like, say, Primal. I forget if we talked about this, but same way that, like, Primal has like discovery lists and people lists and algorithmic stuff, yep. which I think is healthy to help newcomers understand it and get connected to stuff. You know, the same way that works. I think. Um, I think Stacker News is almost like a a full stack, extreme curated experience, yep. but it's still can publish back and get the flow going on, you know, open source, open relay, you know, notes. And, um, and by the way, I think, you know, we mentioned that you can auth with Noster mm-hmm. and you can cross post to Noster relays, but I don't think a lot of people know that. So that might be something interesting for, um, Kian and Kevin and team to, to consider, um, making that feature more visible or, you know, uh, encouraging more people to play with that. I would love yep. to see more stacker content on Noster. Yep. Um, and while we're talking about that, it's actually a nice transition point to that other thing that I shared just before we oh, started yeah. this, right? Please Which do. is, I'm going to just pull it up so that I've got it active here. Uh, it's disappeared. Let's see. It was this one. So Eric Yakes, do you know Eric? I don't think so. What, what's his deal? I, I, he's, he works, well, I, I don't want to misrepresent his role, but he... Let's see what he says. He says he's the author of The Seventh Property in Monetary Revolution. Um, I had him on a talk we did maybe a year or so ago. Um, but anyway, he um, he posted this thing. He said, this is massive for Bitcoin. It's some article. I don't know the source, but it's January 25th at 11 a.m., so just today. He said, Apple's embarking on a historic overhaul of its iOS, Safari, and App Store offerings in the European Union aiming to placate regulators set to impose tough new antitrust rules. The revamp will allow customers to download software from outside the App Store for the first time, the company said Thursday. They'll also be able to use alternative payment systems and more easily choose a new default web browser, addressing two frequent complaints of developers and lawmakers. Let's go. So this, to me, this seems huge. Like we, we've talked about you know, Stacker News in the context of PWAs, and I think PWAs are one kind of directional thing, you know, toward this hope and future. And we've talked about, you know, I think Dom has struggled a lot with the policies and payments and the alternative payments. And um, I think Primal, you know, was able to navigate that because of a little bit of a different philosophy. But now it almost seems like this maybe opens up the the dam and lets, lets Domus do what they were trying to do originally and maybe let Stacker News bundle into an app that doesn't need to go through the app store and can run its own payments how it wants to do. And I think it's awesome. One question about this. I, I'm not sure how this law works forever. Does that mean like 
and I'm assuming if so, there's gonna be like a huge like uh, sort of secondary market, but you can get kind of like jailbroken European Union iPhones here in the uh, US too. You're, you're asking if you can? Yeah, or like is that like so? W- w- because it talks about the European Union. Yeah. Does that mean there'll be two different iPhones, one sold in the US, one sold in the European Union? European Union will be quote unquote jailbroken. Well, it, it could be. I when I read this, I take it to be that the European Union has kind of a more aggressive regulatory, you know, uh, policy that they're going to push out, but then probably they show the experience, they show how it, how it's going to work. And I mean, look, we, we all deal with accept and reject all cookies on our, every website you visit. Yeah. Which is pretty obnoxious. We live in the U (laughs) S but that's totally, it's obnoxious. I don't like it, but that's because of the European union GDPR thing. It's not some U S thing. So I don't know if it's like, is Apple going to bifurcate all the policies and split the OS and make OSs that work in EU very different from US ones? Like, it's possible, but it also seems like there's a bit of a UX like expectation shift. Hmm. Like, imagine imagine that like in the U, in you know European Union, you can use like Intent and launch your own web browser different from the default, but in yeah. the US you can't. And now you're an app developer launching a web browser. Do you have to rebuild the app? You're kind of like you have to know something about the location or region in order to know if it's going to launch a, you know, if it should use the. I mean, these are all workable, aroundable if they really want to, and there's enough, you know, revenue <laughs> at stake here. But it feels like it just feels like it gets very messy very quickly, where yeah, it's plugging up a bunch of holes, and if if a big enough group of people want it one way, my guess is that somewhat starts to change the perception of what the expectation is like like apple can no longer say well oh we're doing it to protect you know it's it's all for safety european union is elected to not take all of our safety measures but the u.s is still choosing to take well essentially get to run the experiment say like look they people can download apps not from the app store and their phones didn't all get hacked or set on fire or whatever crazy stuff could happen um if that doesn't happen i hope you're right then i would certainly i'm sure you can either bootleg or somehow get the EU operating system on your phone. And if not, I'm sure there'll be a secondary market for that, which I would hundred percent pay a lot more for yeah. that. Well, that'll always be niche though. Right? That'll be, you know, half a percent of people or fewer. Totally. But I would be very happy with that. And if not, you know, I had a great time in Spain, Salud. Spain and France last summer. So, but, but this does seem huge and I'm sure, you know, and maybe this is another transition point to talk a little bit about like Nostra in general. You know, I do feel like the app store shutting down, note tips for Domus, which was and still is, I think, the dominant client. Yeah. Um, obviously, Primal has done a very good job in getting around this and a few others, and, and they've grown a lot. But Domus is still, you know, a major player here. Um, you know, the ability to not zap a note and have to zap at the ProBall level, that killed zaps. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. worked, and it kept growing, and it's nice. But some of that, you remember that, like, kind of magic yeah, momentum yeah. we had yeah. for the first half of last year. Um, maybe this is, like, what kind of reopens that floodgate. Yep, yep. I, I mean, I, I think so. I hope so. It, it feels like it could be. I mean, it it's super early. You know, it's like hours old, this announcement. It's just a little clip that we read from that source. So hopefully it's not fake news. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, would, I would expect it's real. But I don't know enough about the sources and the timelines and sort of what else was said around this. Yeah. Um, well, regardless, that's a good direction if it happens. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we can count on it. And we have to, you know, build, obviously, um, for a world where that's not the case. But... Um, but yeah, it would be be really nice for adoption. Yeah, it does touch on this kind of other important point that we were we were yeah. chatting about a little bit, which is like 
time frames really matter, right? Mm -hmm. And what is the time frame under which like these kinds of changes will happen? Or you know, I've heard some grumblings from from Nostr developers, kind of saying like, "Well, you know, Nostr isn't growing fast enough. We can't just hitch to the success of Nostr. We actually have to." you know, we have to own more of our own direction to create success here. Um, and yeah, so like, I know we chatted very briefly about that, but sort of how do you see sort of the timeframes and like what what we should be expecting or what's kind of necessary or critical to, to kind of declare that we're on the right path or how much sort of exploration outside of the core path do, do you think is sort of due these days? Well, I think, you know, I think that, and I think I know some of the developers you're talking about here, I think they were very smart in realizing that, um, you know, we had a big wave of hype and excitement last year. I think the reality is we weren't ready to onboard mainstream users. Totally fine. And um, I think that some of these developers and entrepreneurs who raised some money, the good news is I think many of them kind of realized, and very presciently, you know, I, I certainly was very excited. Um, and I think they were excited as well, but they kind of realized, look, this is going to take many years to play out. And, um, you know, as an investor, one question I got, I got this on my pod yesterday is like, well, you know, you're one of the people that's willing to go so early in Nostra right now. Right. Um, way one, why do you have that conviction? And two, like, what if it's just too early on the first, why do I have the conviction? Uh, you know, and I, I certainly could be wrong. Like I have less conviction about Nostra than I do with Bitcoin. Um, I have less conviction about lightning than I do with Bitcoin, but more, you know, over time, each of these layers, you know, I think I get more and more. So, so is Bitcoin on. your highest conviction without lightning after that and, and then, then Nostra? Yeah. So I, I, that, that's kind of my protocol stack. It's kind of in mind. decreasing order of age, right? Decreasing order of age. And, you know, I almost think of it as like a stack, right? Bitcoin is like the foundational value network, right. lightning, the payment network, Nostra, the data network, uh, that kind of anchors into lightning, yep. but it, it doesn't, obviously doesn't have to, but, um, so you know, two questions, two, two answers to that. One, the reason I'm still extremely bullish is because of Nostra simplicity. No accounts, no weird, you know, mm -hmm. like blue sky and you invite any of that crap. It's a public key. That's right, any right? Public key cryptography, not going anywhere. Yep. And so um, the fact that the communication is the JSON blob with seven fields or whatever, like that's super simple. I don't think you can create a public private key communication system that's much simpler. Right. And so. That simplicity, number one, has me very bullish. Number two, the users that are left, and you know, it's still a pretty, you know, I was looking on Nostra band stats, you know, we still have 25,000 people a week posted. Yep. And some multiple of that are probably reading. Like, I don't yep. necessarily post every week, but I read a lot. Yep. Not a lot, but I've, I've never been a social media guy anyway. So, so let's call it, you know, you've got on the order of at least tens of thousands of committed users. Some high percentage of those people are developers. And um, you know, because of the generosity of OpenSats and Jack Dorsey, you know, many of those guys have, you know, grants that could go yeah. on at least for a year, potentially many years. Um, many others have raised money um, from HiveMind and from you and from others. And mm -hmm. so I think there's enough really good, uh, there's enough really good talent working on a thing that just seems in many ways like Bitcoin, the simplest possible instantiation of a data communication network tied in with money, tied mm -hmm. in with people that are values driven, who, you know, unlike, you know, you know, if these were crypto people that just, ah, we got a lot of Solana, we're going to balance as soon yeah, as it, yeah. Yeah, but th these are freedom advocates. These are people that this is their life's work. I, I don't think they're going to go anywhere, especially if they're getting grants to continue their day to day life. Right. So that's why I'm still very bullish on Nostra, no matter what. Number two though, you know, do I think it's too early? Well, maybe. And I think that's the risk I was taking, but I was also taking very good, you know, sort of risk uh, reward adjusted investments and valuations that I was coming in at. Uh -huh. And, you know, uh, I made this 
point in the podcast history, like investing in Lightning Labs in 2016 or 2017 was too early, but obviously they had the right team. They stuck around, they kept building and, mm-hmm. you know, raised at a much higher valuation in their last raise than they did at the pre-seed. So I think that the good entrepreneurs realize this is a marathon on a sprint mm-hmm. and are being very cautious, cautious with their burn. Um, that's another thing that I, I put on here. Um, somewhere on Stacker News, it shared a lot of Gil essay about like capital efficient companies. And mm. um, we don't need to discuss that essay specifically, but a general trend I'm noticing is a lot of my entrepreneurs, you know, they may they may live outside of the US or have developers there and their burn is pretty low. Yep. Another interesting trend is that almost all of my companies, including my Nostra companies, keep some meaningful percentage of their treasury in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That's been real good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if we're directionally correct, it's going to continue to get real good. So I, I think a lot of these guys, if they're okay in cockroach mode, which most of them are, because that's what they would be doing for free anyway, yeah. um, you know, it may have been too early uh, to expect something to happen fast. This may be like many years, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Um, but that's, you know, whatever that, that's a venture, um, life cycle anyway. So I think that, you know, the smart ones are going to keep things very lean, keep experimenting. The good news is the super networks are effects are in play. We don't know what app is going to pop next. I think it might be a marketplace, but mm-hmm. whatever does pop next, those guys can now log on to the Twitter clients like primal or like Domus. Right. They can log on. Now you can auth into wave Lake, uh, fountain. If they may or may not release this yet, but if not, it's coming soon. So, you know, each of those apps that goes out and gets new users or whatever pops off, you right. know, everyone else inherits that. So I, I think, I think all the fundamentals are still there. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I would just encourage any Nostra developers, entrepreneurs listening just to be realistic and say, you may have to cockroach for a little while. Mm-hmm. Now on the flip side, we could be totally wrong. And I would love to be wrong. Yeah. And like, I also think, I truly believe this is the case, you know, number go up technology will save a lot of things, including Nostra. Right. If, you know, the, the, you know, Bitcoin has already doubled since last year in price. You know, I remember last year was, you know, whatever, around 20K in January. And um, we haven't had the happening yet. Having this came in a couple of months. Like, obviously, nothing is, you know, baked in, yeah. in whatever. Um, but, you know, I'm a simple left side of the caveman guy. Mm-hmm. Scarcity goes up, people keep buying. There's a lot less to buy. Amount of hash rate keeps going competing for it. And chances are price is going to go up. So it, right. it, if we do get a bull run, you can't bet the farm on that. You have to plan judiciously if that's not going to happen. Be creative about bringing more users to the network, which by the way, I think everyone should be doing, thinking outside of just our current base. How do you go out there and find, in Stacker News, like if you have a good sub, how do you get someone that's really a hip hop head to come and like, yeah. oh, I can earn Bitcoin. Um, by the way, it's just one aside there. I thought it was interesting. We chatted about this fountain launched on Product Hunt today. Mm-hmm. Fountain's value for value, you know, stream sats, receive sats, podcast app. And um, I don't know if anything will come from this, but Bill Groy launched his podcast today. I tagged, you know, him in there and and told him about the the Fountain podcast and said, I'd love to stream Uh some Bitcoin. When can we do this? Um, I I think you never know what's going to hit, but I think everyone should be looking outside of their niche and just going with the idea of like, hey, whatever it is you're interested in, you're just interested in podcasting, cool. Would you like to be stream Bitcoin? Uh That's interesting, right? So I think every Nostra entrepreneur should be thinking outside of their niche. But um I don't know. I remain very bullish. I think we're in a bit of a lull. I think we have been for a couple months, but um, I do think something's going to pop. I just I don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it may just be the price appreciation. It may be if Bitcoin starts running over 100k, all of a sudden everyone's like, "Ooh, Bitcoin! Wait, Lightning! What's that? Ooh, there's apps that I can use Lightning on. Right. Ooh, they're Nostra apps. What's Nostra? Right. That seems like the most realistic. Right. Okay. So you're you're sort of saying number go up is the most realistic one. Yeah. And you've got kind of the cockroach mentality, like nothing can kill us. We just kind of hunker down. Yeah. Um, but then you, you also mentioned kind of, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but are there adjacent 
kind of tools maybe to help new people onboard or I mean I, I, I think we talked about this before, but I almost see Noster as primarily infrastructure and then yeah. there's these apps on top of it. And so far the apps people have built have been very like social <laughs> media focused. But there's also like you know, there's all these like, you know, there's all these different media networks that kind of serve a similar function today. And could you build the glue? Like could Noster be the glue that helps that? And are there applications that. that help that glue interop with you know, sort of help all those apps interop with each other through that glue. And have you seen people working on stuff like that? Or is that not outside of some of the developers that we've chatted with? And, and just to be clear, if I am reading you right, I think you're saying like, Hey, like I want a tool that allows me to cross pose between Twist, Twitter and Noster. Is that... Yeah, that, that'd be a great, yeah. One of many things, but yeah, I think that a way to sort of say, we don't need the whole world to elect Noster today as like the place they want to do that. People have habits some are on Twitter, some are, you know, maybe there's use cases in Discord, maybe there are, um, you know, uh, like threads, you know, Facebook's micro-blogging service, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, but, you know, empower people to use the tools they're using and help sort of aggregate all of the information flow on a new network so they can sort of both build new audiences, make new connections, sort of, you know, maybe even... Maybe you can easily cross post between Twitter and threads and LinkedIn or wherever people want to post. What but if also get to Noster? If you were um, a builder right now and you were going to run a couple of experiments, what comes to mind for you? Why well, I, I really want, and I, I know I've said this before, but I really want like, I don't know what it is, some sort of cross posting dashboardy, just like a, a place <laughs> where I can like type an idea and then it goes everywhere. Anybody is listening to me. Yeah, that's great. It kind of sounds too basic to be like a real thing, but have you seen? Um, I saw uh, somehow a post from this. I think from Matt Mullenweg. They acquired texts. dot com. Oh, I, I think I saw that that happened, but I didn't follow it closely. I don't know how it works. And you know, Matt Mullenweg, he had a podcast with Tim Ferriss, which I thought was a great podcast. They've done a couple of them, but this was a really good one. And he mentions Noster. Oh, it is. Yeah. It was what nice. did he say about it? He basically, so Matt, you know, for the, those who don't know, founded WordPress like 20 years ago or something and is a big open source advocate, mm -hmm. huge open source champion. And, you know, WordPress, in addition, I think they power a third of the web or something crazy. Yeah, yeah. In addition to that, though, they're blogging and sort of web hosting software. They, uh, he's acquired a few companies, Tumblr being most sort of notable right. and now text.com. And he mentioned, he's like, yeah, you know, we kind of want to take that sort of opposite, you know, approach of the wall gardens of the Facebooks and Twitter and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm really big on open protocols. And he mentioned, he's like, yeah, you know, Jack, I think they're friends, uh, has uh, supported two, Blue Sky and Noster. And, you know, just kind of in passing. Mm -hmm. So he at least is familiar with it. Um, yeah. Man, it would be su super cool if Tumblr integrated Noster, right? Um, but but text.com as well is really interesting to me. I think I saw this maybe in 2021 or something. Mm -hmm. But um, it was kind of the way I understood it, like kind of like a dashboard for all your messaging. Right. Which is a huge yeah. pain in the ass. Like. I missed one of my entrepreneurs was in town. Thankfully someone texted me on signal and, uh, he had texted me on telegram, which I don't check telegram that much. Yeah. And he was like, Hey, you want to go for, you know, hang out today? And thankfully my other friend texted me. He's like, bro, he's like texting you. You should yeah, answer. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, well, it's so many fucking apps. Yeah. And so that's supposed to be kind of like a dashboard for there. I would love, yeah. Like a HubSpot kind of thing. Or not uh -huh. a HubSpot. That's more scheduling, but like a, a centralized dashboard for all of my communications would be 
super useful. Yeah. And, and I guess each of the, like, I think in texting, I don't know all of the details. I, I know a bunch of friends and I have hypothesized what a magical experience it would be as a user. But I think when you get down to the details, like running an iMessage client, you have to kind of run it on Mac, you know, hardware, software, and that there's like problems to doing that. So then are you like just a green bubble everywhere and you come up with like a weird, you know, phone number. So I think there's like a lot of, let's say each of the messengers has their own, they're playing defense against this. And I think in the messaging ecosystem, it's going to be more closed, but in the publishing ecosystem, I think it naturally will trend toward more open, a little more interop friendly. I'm not going to say that, you know, Twitter's not excited about pulling tweets out and showing them somewhere else, (laughs) but it's harder to say like, you're not able to do that through like technical problems. We should both play with text.com for this one. Cause I am curious how they do that. Yeah. Cause I, I would think the same thing that it's like super closed. Yeah. But. I, I think that's, my, I don't know. I haven't followed the project. I, I think I, you know, heard about it when I was getting started. Um, but, uh, but my under, my guess is the reason that it's, I don't I don't know if it was like an aqua hire or something, but the reason it kind of isn't a mass market cause they've been at it for years and it's very useful. Obviously I think it's probably you run into, you know, the, each of the platforms, technical or policy limitations that don't mm-hmm. let you provide the experience you want to provide. So even though like the vision and the experience of kind of a common UX to be able to do all the stuff you want to do, like that's no brainer. We all want that. But I, I think there's too many sort of like defensive shields and, you know, swords sticking around in the path. There. If only one, if only every company used a common public private key identity. I know, you right? Take away. <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's kind of, yeah. Like I think that's, that's why I. That's why I continue to be bullish that something very, you know, Nostra or something very close to Nostra feels like the right thing because it's so simple and it's so basic and infrastructure. But I think that's part of the challenge is it's so infrastructure yeah. that, it, you know, if, if you really love and appreciate the features of the infrastructure, of course, you can hang out there and see other people who who are. But I think it needs to be able to also reach people who don't really care about the infrastructure. They want a UX that's just delightful makes everything they're trying to do so much easier you know my hope by the way is we see some more of those kind of application developers i don't know if you know this but pablo and um a group of developers including the mutiny guys uh the satellite earth guys Stuart, a bunch of them are in hacking in madeira right now oh and they're doing that for like two months so yeah Yeah. so i'm like another thing that makes me bullish like you get a bunch of really smart people hacking together yeah probably something cool will come out of that yeah and what's, what's the latest, I haven't caught up with Pablo in a bit, but I know the data vending machine was a big thing and I hear other people using and relating to that now. Is that his, if you can say focus, is that kind of what he's focused on? <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm not sure. And I, you know, we've texted a little bit, but we've been, we've been also playing phone tag, trying to get a call set up. Um, one thing I will say is, you know, he was big on that insect bunker thing. Yep. So like an easy way to like, I guess, like have a, a private key, but stored in a place that you could then give like sub permissions. Like if you're a business to like, maybe this guy can post on this yep. social media network, but not on this one or blah, blah, blah. And Jeff, um, I think just yesterday released like an easy to use version, like some, some like simple library that anyone can use to like integrate with Insect Bunker. Oh, cool. Um, so I think that's cool. And it's kind of moving a little bit in the direction you're saying of just like, you know, oh, create an account. The NPUB can get, you know, created in the background. I think maybe you can permission it later. But I think basically he's taking the approach right now, which is a very smart approach of like taking some of Pablo's amazing inventions and productizing them yeah, a bit yeah. more. So that's, that's great. great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should, you know, maybe by next time there'll be more to play with and we can jam on that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. 
Um, One more thing I wanted to touch on, because I know we've been at this for a while. So, well, this is a little bit different than Nostra. Anything else on Nostra that you want to So there was the Unleashed Chat project, right? Yeah. Which is very, it's... It's not. It's very nostr infused in a way. Yeah. Do you want to talk well, about? And this is actually this transitions because I want to talk a little about uh, the future of search and some AI stuff that yep. goes along with that. So this is a great segue. So Unleash Chat, um, NVK's new project, <laughs> another guy that creates all kinds of stuff. And you know, it started off very simple. He was just basically running, you know, Mistral and some other open source models in the cloud. Anyone mm-hmm. could access it. You know, he's not taking your data. And um, and yeah, that was it. And, you know, I played with it a couple of weeks ago or even maybe months ago now. And, you know, it was cool, but, you know, whatever. It was just another open source model. But I think he's made a couple of, he's done a lot of releases in the last week or two. And a couple of things that really stood out to me. One is now they're training on Nostra data, which I love. Mm-hmm. And this is something, by the way, that I um, I called for in my essay, sort of how actually OpenAI will win, which I guess now has been, you know, maybe eight or so months ago, right. which is crazy. And um, part of my thesis there is that Nostr is an interesting and unique data set, and it has this kind of uh, the value rank or market rank concept baked in, because you can say, oh, this is a node, and this is how much sort of uh, who zapped it that's yep. associated with it. And that's a strong signal for training your models. Um, I need to chat with MVK. I don't know if he's using that signal at all yet. But, you know, I was playing with it again last night, chatting, and, you know, it knew a lot about Nostr. And so... Um, and are you issuing a payment is it like you issue a payment per query or you kind of buy bundled credits or how does it work i actually don't know um i was given a test account okay. so I don't, I don't know if you uh, need to zap but if you don't yet i'm sure that's the eventual model right um and so that's interesting and then i've seen a couple of these other projects you know christopher david continues to do a lot of stuff you know he had the gpu topia thing work out plug in a gpu get paid out sats mm-hmm. he is planning very soon the new launch of open agents and he's been building that in public on twitter and you can see all of his uh, videos and the idea is basically clone OpenAI's ideas, but just make it open and get paid out in sats. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. Sats for AI just came across another kind of one of these, like, if you remember Lightning Labs released Aperture um, and Cody Lowe kind of uh, generalized that to Matador. So you basically can just like put like a, you know, a paywall in front of an API endpoint. And so mm-hmm. they're doing that for some of these models. Um, so so there, there does seem to be a lot of experimentation with kind of open source AI, pay sats for it. NVK, to the best of my knowledge, the only one that's indexing Nostra so far. Mm-hmm. And then is that, that's going to be run and product, like it has its own roadmap, you think? And is that kind of like, I guess be productized I've, and run? I have no idea. Again, I, I need to chat with him. Um, I know, you know, his core business is obviously the hardware stuff. So I don't know right. if this is just a hobby, if he wants to spin it out as its own business, if he's just going to, you know, mess around with it. You know, he was running relays for a while that were just, you know, kind of a hobby and then he took them down. So I, I have no idea. Oh, he took those down? Well, I don't know if he took him down, but I don't, I don't see them or maybe he is still running it, but I know that was like never like a, like, right. As to the best of my knowledge, a core business he wanted to run. Do you know what, what's happening in the relay ecosystem? Have you, cause I know that yeah, we check it had, out. Right, Ricardo had been one of the prominent ones and then took it down. Domus was the main one. Domus the main one. Yeah. I imagine Primal's doing but, well. But I guess Domus and Primal probably still continue to run theirs cause they're so coupled to definitely their, you know, their core service. Right. I think um, Artur continues to run his like mega relay, which sucks mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and Primal also has a bit of a mega re- relay, right? Because they must. They must. I think to, yeah, because they have to do their search. caching and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but but otherwise, we you know the ecosystem, I guess, probably continues to evolve. But I I haven't heard too much about what's. <laughs> I haven't checked that either. But, stuff b- by the way, in terms of other releases, I mean, again, slow and steady. You know, um, 
millions had multiple releases for primal i think yesterday or two days ago has the new android release out which is, i haven't played with obviously it's super nice archer continues to work for um work on spring the browser on android yep. which i still haven't played with it's not on android yeah but um but but there, there is a lot happening you know yeah bubbling but we haven't seen that next big breakout right right yeah but on the subject of uh of AI stuff, we should do a whole nother pod and we've been talking for a while. So maybe we can say that for next time on what's happening in AI and open source AI. But I do want to just mention search because this is something I keep thinking about. You know, I published that essay about disrupting Google with value rank some mm-hmm. years ago now. Kian and Artur are both kind of looking at this in various ways. Um, there are two search engines I've been playing with recently that I really like. I'm curious your thoughts on them. One got a lot of uh, publicity, perplexity, AI. One they raised from Jeff Bezos, who famously invested in Google as well early on. Uh, have you played with Replexity? I have, yeah, yeah. It seems really good, yeah, like excellent. And I love like the um, the footnotes. I don't know too much about it other than they were using proprietary or they were using like OpenAI or Google models. I don't know if it was OpenAI, I guess. And now we're using Mistral and open source mm-hmm. models. That's interesting. But like that experience is really good, right? What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's there's a lot of experimentation in different kind of UXs and and stuff uh, within AI. I, I'm like a bit more, I, I've used perplexity and I find it a delightful UI, right? Um, and I hear a lot of, a lot of my friends who spend all their time on AI stuff, love perplexity and integrate it deeply into their workflows. So I think there's like, you know, there's definitely a lot of user love around that product um if i kind of like zoom way out though i'm not super convinced that like a text box that returns something Mm -hmm. is an opportunity it 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 may be but if if you're typing something into a text box that text box is probably being input into a browser on an os and those have some pretty hefty yeah, control points owned by Google or bot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so if you have a delightful UX, will Apple not choose to do that? Will Google not choose to do that? Like you could, it feels like the kind of place you can innovate a lot and really show the world a better way. But unless you sort of have a, a reason that, you know, the others won't do that. Like the ones at scale won't do that. I'm not really sure where that goes. So I, I'm, not not to hedge too much. I just I don't find myself returning to those experiences, which I feel like are you know useful today. You know the best thing out there today, but that I feel like it's not you know it it it, it hasn't grabbed me yet as like something totally novel and unique. It feels like a better way to do a certain type of information retrieval. Yeah. Well. So from an investor perspective, I agree with you. Like if they keep doing well, really well, with that, I don't see why Google wouldn't run away and just kind of like copy it. Having said that, why is it so good? Like I, I will say that like I was just blown away. Like I asked, you know, for not like what's going on with Noster and it pulled mm-hmm. Archer stats and hyperlinked to Noster.band. Mm-hmm. Some of the articles it, it had like um, it uh, hyperlinked to were like blogs that I had yeah. never seen about Noster that were extremely high quality. Yeah. And I was just like, damn, like this is like way stronger signal than a Google search right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the one thing is Google search has uh, a lot of ads, yeah. you know, huge ad loads today. So sometimes you type in a query and you don't even see an organic result in the first page. And I think that payment is, you know, kind of corrupts the results experience. Um, and, 
and I think so just having like more like a whole page of organic stuff is just better. Yeah. Like that's, you know, money corrupts. You, you can't, you can't. Broken money with broken incentives <laughs> corrupts. Right. Well, but, but anyhow, like if, if you've got, if you're saying like, look, we want to give you the best result, but if somebody pays, we're going to give you a result that may be good. That may be reasonable, but maybe not quite as good. Right. Yeah. So I think it just corrupts in that way. So I think one thing is, you know, perplexity and, you know, other types of, you know, information retrieval experiences like that um, are, you know, uncorrupted by money, you know, so, so far, so far. Yeah. And so what does that eventually look like? Like, well, probably I think it actually, I think it's a lit, I think it's a lot more direct pay and it may be that there's centralized providers who have direct pay relationships the way you know you can like direct pay to subscribe to open ai and you pay 20 bucks a month right for all the latest stuff that seems like a very natural model people are used to paying for things on the internet today i think that's going to be a big part of it is a lot more direct pay where advertisers are just like not part of the equation anymore it's like the provider and the customer is the user have you played with kagi yet I haven't played with Kagi. What's that? Okay, so I'll, I'll send you info. This is one that I'm really, really excited about. Kagi.com. Mm-hmm. And um, they just celebrated yesterday. It's a Hacker News darling. It was a Stacker News darling a few months back. It is uh, an incredible search engine, and it's paid. Oh, cool. And you get 100 free searches, and then it's paid. And they just crossed 20,000 paying members yesterday. How do you and spell Kagi? K-A-G-I, and it's like key in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's excellent. And um, they... Yeah, that, I, I think they have a lot of interesting ideas for the future, including integrating AI. But yeah, the the founder of that, his thesis is very much, um, I think he has a lot of very smart strategic points, but his thesis is very much, um, in the future, you're going to pay for search because it's the only way to get good information quality. Basically what you're saying, the business yeah. model has to shift. Yeah. And so far it's small numbers, but I mean, they're doing meaningful revenue. Um, and I'm very bullish on them. Uh, also because I think that direct pay model gets easier over time with lightning and they've already integrated lightning payments. Yep. Um, so today you can pay the bundle in lightning. Eventually I assume they'll do pay per search. Yep. And so they kind of blew up on stacker news. That's, you know, one of the groups that I guess, uh, I don't know if they pushed them or they ended up using afterwards, but you know, there's definitely lightning payments happening there. Yep. And I'm actually very happy and excited about this one. They've also launched a browser called Orion, which is a very good browser. Uh-huh. And one of, um, uh, the founder actually came. You may have met him. Um, oh. In fact, I'm pretty sure you did because he came to one of their Nostra hangs. He was talking with Bob. I don't know if he's talking oh, okay. with you. But um, we had a long chat, and afterwards, uh, they made it easy to integrate Albi into the browser. Mm-hmm. And so then now they're one of the extensions that you can you know easily download. Um, so anyway, so I, I think I think there's going to be a lot to happen in this, and that's that's what I'm excited about. Yep. Yeah, I, I think direct pay for search is the future, and so I think if you wanted to make the bullish case for a new provider and not like a Google or Apple, I think it is kind of, it's like, yeah, all the UX can be redone, but it's too disruptive to the business that, you know, how you price it and who you price it and how do you segment users and customers and, you know, is it, is it subscription billing or, you know, per query billing, um, that it may be that it's more of like that kind of economic change. I, I still, I still were it. Have you read? I figured if we talked about the Ben Thompson Google kind of moonshot opportunity. Oh, well, I mean, I've read some Ben Thompson. What is this article? Is this a recent one? Or he wrote one in December. Okay, that uh, was really good, and it it basically was maybe it was called like Google's Gambit or something. But it was basically saying like Google has 
the opportunity to maybe go toward a full stack, you know, kind of software to phone experience where you pay a subscription and use the Google phone with the Google LLM and blah, 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 and, and sort of use the existing assets to muscle their way in to do that. But by doing it, they alienate all of their, all the partners who are kind of ecosystem partners in Android. So you kind of like, if you go down that path, it's kind of a shoot the moon type of thing, right? Like, you know, where you either succeed at it or you fail massively and the whole ecosystem kind of blows up. Um, and I think, I think Apple also has a credible shot at it's similar. He, he doesn't talk as much about Apple in that, in that, in that piece, but the piece is wonderful. I think it's Check it out. some of the, some of the best writing on the thing, but, uh, but that kind of stuff really informs a lot of like the way that I've been thinking about it. And yeah, I think the, you know, I love all the experimentation. You know, I think it's always healthy to have a lot of experimentation. Um, uh, new UXs and new new approaches to this problem. Um, but but the stuff that I get most excited about, stuff that, you know, is, is nowhere near anybody. You know, nobody has any real dominance. Like, the two ideas I keep, you know, talking about, hearing about, you know, kind of in, in discussions around are storytelling. How does storytelling evolve when you, as an individual, could write a script? Maybe it's an AI-assisted script, but you write a script, and you should be able to produce a Hollywood movie. Your own custom. Yeah, like, you think about how hard that is today, how many gatekeepers and how much financing and the production costs and the time. That's going to go to roughly zero. And in, in Apple, Google, Facebook, like, nobody's really good at that. Nobody has, like, some advantage in being the technology company that builds that. Yeah, that's a good one. So to me, that's, like, that's what... That's what a great startup opportunity would look like. Like, it's have not, you seen anyone going after this yet? Uh, there's there's a company that I invested in that is doing something in the space. Cool. Um, and I think they're going to hopefully come out in the next weeks. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a great um, idea. And it, it, you know, V one is very thin. It's you know, it's not a full Hollywood feature film, but it's you know more like you know South Park. <laughs> Even better, but but, but like you know, that, that's what you can do today. But you can see how you get from South Park to feature film, right? Like it's steps and it's you know years of work and technology advancement. Um, so, but and and I've seen a bunch of people playing in that. But but the exciting thing to me is like that's just it's so new. It just rewires Hollywood instead of like tries to fight with the incumbent, you know, hyperscale tech companies, right? I love it, and I'm assuming the other one is the software generation. Yeah, yeah, software generation, the other one. And I, and I think, I think, you know, I think, uh, I mean, did we talk about that already or just, well, we talked about it a lot last okay. time, basically anyone can yeah. create their own custom software experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And that one, I think did, did, did I share, I don't know if I'd even seen it at that time. Did, did I share the Ted talk that Amjad gave? No. So, so Amjad from Replit gave a Ted talk, TEDx or whatever. And it was about a 10 minute talk. Absolutely worth watching. Is this recent? Yeah. Oh, I, somebody shared it with me a month ago or something. Okay. It was like a week after I published that thing. Um, he showed that. And I, I think actually Replit is They're in a good reasonably position well positioned for this. Yeah, that's one of the few companies. Man, I, I wish I had invested in this guy. Like, yeah. that's, that's a good one. But like, you know, Google, Facebook, Apple, like they don't really have a handle on this. Like you could argue GitHub a little bit, but you really yeah. have to say it's not really, right? It's, it's a kind of a different, it's people who are good at software today. The whole thing that Replit enables is people who are not good at software to kind of climb the ladder and become good at software. And hey, 
you could learn Python, but you could also just like will it into existence and then maybe tweak it with Python later. Or maybe you don't I even need that. to. Right? But the thing that he added that I had not written about, but that he kind of really added to my thinking on it is um, that he th- he thinks it's not going to be so everything's automated very quickly. So he's like, you, you, Max, want a new app? You know, will it into existence as you, you know, ex- explain what you'd like it to do. Maybe there's an LM that kind of refines the spec with you. Then instead of saying like, the machine builds it and deploys it now is there, it's actually that spec now kind of goes to a developer. Yeah. And, you know, that developer is using a bunch of AI components and kind of remixing things. And it's like extremely efficient at building the thing that you wanted and you pay them. There's like a monetary transaction there. And so in over time, maybe you end up with like all the components and it's all wired together. But like the path is actually much. It's a combo of AI plus a marketplace of devs. I love it. I think it's genius. And oh, given that a lot of their devs are, I don't know, in Indian emerging <laughs> markets, I wonder what you might pay them with. Yep, yep. For anyone that didn't see it, I know you saw this. Yep. Um, in December, right around Christmas time, Amjad posted a just, I mean, like, we all know he's a Bitcoiner. We've yep. had Bitcoin chats. Like, yep. dude's a Bitcoiner, which is great. He posted on Twitter, like a, a survey or whatever it's called, a poll. And just straight up said, should we uh, replace our internal currency and or integrate, I forget exactly if it was replace or integrate, with lightning payments? Mm-hmm. And uh, got a couple thousand votes. 80, 90% of people were saying yes. Mm-hmm. And I know I was very- I voted hell yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to send them some sats. Sadly, <laughs> looks like Elon hasn't enabled that yet. But um, you know, I was stoked about it because you know, I, I re- quote tweeted him in there. And, you know, said, you know, this is going to be the biggest deal for Bitcoin and Lightning. I still believe that because their company is so uniquely positioned because most of their users, the software developers, are in emerging markets. And if you get all of India getting paid out in Lightning, guess what's going to happen? And so I mentioned that he liked it. Um, Then I said, by the way, Amjad, like you got a lot of fans on Stacker News. You're interested. Check out Stacker News. He liked that. And so I know he's aware of all this stuff. Get him in for an AMA. How do... (laughs) I'm John. The off chance you're listening to this, like we should, we should absolutely figure out how to get him an AMA on the Stacker News. Yeah, and I know your, his tweet about Stacker News is what got you on the site. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. He had tweeted about it. It was years ago, and yeah, that was where I first actually heard about Stacker News. Was I'm John wants to me. change the world? Yeah, integrate Lightning, and you will do more to change the world than anyone else could. Mm-hmm. He's in a good position for it. Hundred percent. Let's hope it happens this year. <laughs> cool. Um, what else? Other other topics, stuff that's top of mind for you? Well, I know there's a lot more stuff we could talk about. I guess, um, you know, maybe parting thoughts. Um, one, I mean, I'm curious if there's anything else just interesting that you've been th- reading about, thinking about. And two, if you have any, I don't know, parting words. Like I know for a lot of Nostra devs, you know, it's probably, you know, a bit of a, a lull. Any, I don't know, like good karmic energy you'd like to share? <laughs> hmm. Well, I... Yeah, hmm. I guess I, I don't have something prepped along karmic energy. Yeah. Sorting, you know, filtering. The, <laughs> um, Not to put you know. on the spot. I, no, I mean, I I would say like my continued enthusiasm, optimism for Noster is, I think, exactly how you said. It's just the simplicity. It's you know, it's a, like it's in the way that Bitcoin is very close to energy. Noster is a very simple approach to these problems, and you know, the public private key cryptography is very simple. It's hard for me to imagine that the final version of anything like this has anything besides public private keys. I agree. So great. Okay. That's a 
<laughs> like the substrate is strong. And then the, the, you know, the basic protocol of how you do a note in the fields is very simple. Again, like the best stuff is always simple. Yeah. And then the complexity gets built up around it over years. But I think, I, I feel like it's hard to imagine a world where something, let's say Nostra or something like Nostra is not the way we do this. Yeah. So then it's kind of like, like we, I think the call to arms is we need to explore the space. We need to try more different things. Get, you know, take some of those and like, let's say, yeah, it's going to be public private key cryptography and like this, this data format is simple and good enough. Yeah. But now let's explore all the ways to use those pieces in ways that nobody's tried before and are super risky and they may not work, but it's not more of the well-known stuff. It's more of the unknown. Like, can we explore the unknown? Cause I think the unknown is, you know, the, the portfolio of unknown exploration is where Infinite. the magic will come from. Yeah. How can we encourage more of that? I mean, I think obviously, you know, some investing, but also the uh, open SaaS grants, that's incredible. What, what can we do to encourage more of the unknown? Well, I think if we can, you know, you know, talk to a lot of people, share ideas, solicit feedback. And then I think just the process of discussing what could be yeah. is one thing that, you know, it's not that we have the right answer, but we, it's if we can make point. a space to start to think like, oh, what if we, you know, what if we took it in a different direction? And maybe somebody hears it and they're like, you know what? I think you're wrong, but I think the right answer is actually, you know, this other direction that is not what you're saying, but at least it kind of injects a certain amount of spontaneity, chaos, newness into the thing to get people out of the, you know, it's very easy to, like we said at the beginning, it's easy to kind of be in these ruts of like, it's a podcast, it's two people sitting across from each other. Going, he's like, totally. Let's go, let's go for a walk next time. Next Noster News, let's do on foot. I love it. Right. And, and, and I, I want to do it because we like to walk. We each like to walk, but I also want to do it because it's like different and it'll make us, we'll just talk about different things because we're in a different place. We're, we're behaving differently. We're breathing differently. We're, we're on our feet. We're moving around. We're, we're flexing different muscles. And I think that same type of thing, like how do we explore the edges of what's interesting? Not, you know, the, the, the thing is when it looks safe, it's actually not safe. Yeah, the exactly. thing that looks safe, That's it's like, bad. Oh, it's, it's, it's all the stuff that it should be, but it's, it's none of the stuff that it could be, could be, or that kind of uniquely take these ingredients and mix them into a way that's, you know, uniquely possible only here and only now that we have these ingredients. Well, it's interesting. So it's interesting that it sparks a couple of thoughts in my mind. I think this, what you're saying is beyond just for Nostra. This is just seems like good advice for life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it actually reminds me of that ideas fest that I mentioned at the top yeah. of the pod. Um, Rewan, my buddy, that was one of the early open AI guys on the GPT three paper, his little presentation to our group was on epsilon greeting, which is like this algorithm of like basically how to like, um, modulate, explore, exploit. Mm -hmm. When do you explore? When do you exploit? Yep. And I think that's like a, and for those that don't know what I'm talking about, like, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you know, there's 10 options and you know that, you know, you always get the sandwich and you rate it subjectively an eight out of 10, um, you know, eight out of 10 is pretty good, but it's not a 10 out of 10. Do you know, when do you go with the chaos and just try something new, which could be a one out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 versus settling in on what could be a local maximum. Right. Yeah. And there's many ways to approach that with life. And perhaps that, that would be an interesting, um, pod in and of itself. But I do think that it's interesting for all of us as human beings to get caught in local maximum. Yeah. In, and, in the, the magic in technology, which mm -hmm. is not the case in sandwiches, is the, 
I'm serious. <laughs> I want a good sandwich too, dude. You want a good sandwich, but the best sandwich is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Or maybe an 11 out of 10. And you're like, dial it up. It's even better than the scale. But like, it's kind of crazy to say the best sandwich is a thousand out of 10. Yeah, but in technology, it can in technology, you can actually build billion a, thousand, out a billion out of 10, you know? And so the scale of what greatness looks like and feels like when you actually get it right. It's just, it's so mind-blowing. It, I mean, I, I'm, I have tingles just thinking about how great it could be. Like, if you really explore what's possible, and you, if you do hit on the thing, and you're like, wow. Yeah, this is it. Like, something different. There's something qualitatively different about this experience we're having together. So one other thing that that thing, I agree with you hundred percent, I, I very much, you know, this is something I try to get across in some of these podcasts. People are asking me about my approach to investing. It's like, dude, what I love about going very early stage, and I think YC has done this better than anyone, you know, you obviously, you know, you, you want to, uh, you can't bet on everyone. You want to have high quality founders and whatnot, but you know, with every pre-seed or seed stage bet, you know, I know exactly what I could lose. My, my downside is exactly capped, yeah. whatever I invest. The upside is infinite. And that's what people understand. Like if you hit it, you never know. Like you don't know how successful something could be, how crazy it could change the world. And that that's the beauty. And that that's like I, I was just basically saying, you know, I, I have zero interest in ever doing growth stage stuff because it's just boring. Right. Yeah. But this is like the magic of like you don't know like what the uncapped upside. So if if as a as a uh maybe more practical takeaway, the other thing that, that sparks in my mind is um, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to South America. So if anyone's listening out here from Uruguay or Argentina, hit me up. Would love to connect with Nostra and Bitcoin people down there. Um, you know, I've always found um, personally, you know, there's many ways to this. Travel is certainly one. Reading new books is another. And it reminds me of a post that Elvis Mercury asked on Stacker News, which is how do you like diversify your inputs? And you can you can interpret that however you want, whether it's information mm -hmm. inputs or just the way you live your life. Like how often do you just, okay, I'm going to go travel here, you yep. know, to this place. How do you think about, yeah, for you personally, like kind of cranking the knobs on those inputs and what you're doing to maximize serendipity, but also, you know, to take advantage of, you've got a lot of good things in your life too. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I guess it's a never ending <laughs> process. Um, Simple I'm, question. <laughs> I'm like, I'm both like very overall satisfied with my life, how I spend my time, how I can help people in different ways. So like, I feel like there's plenty of reason to just not rock the boat. Totally. It's but good. I also Objectively. know that the, the best things I've ever had happen to me have been random out of left field, taking a, you know, show up at a dinner party, show up at a, you know, you know, work with some people at a brainstorm, whatever. There are always these things out of left field. So I am now, I guess, like just oriented or kind of programmed to be like, I'm just going to do something, even though it's like my habits are now things that I think maybe would sound like they might be uncomfortable to people. What meaning, do you mean uncomfortable? Uh, meaning like it probably, you know, it probably is weird. Like I don't, we were talking the other day about like, let's let's just go. So, so Jen has a conference he was invited to in Palm Springs in March. And I was like, instead of just fly into the conference, like everybody else is doing, let's actually drive down and maybe we go to Joshua tree. Maybe we, maybe we just find a place that we can be there and just like be more at rest there instead of in transit there. Mm. And like, yeah, we're not going to have, like, we love our coffee maker. <laughs> you know, it's hard to coordinate the dog care. And there's, 
there's a lot of ways that it would make us uncomfortable from our typical habits. Like we, you know, we have a bunch of stuff here that really works for us that throws that all, you know, <laughs> it throws that all into chaos. But then it also like, you know, you find a new, you, you meet new people that you might not have and you bump into new ideas and you sort of, you're, I think when you're on the road, especially it often centers you on, Maybe you're reading in a different style. Like I, when we were flying, and I mean, you know, Hawaii is a fairly reasonable place to go. It's not that uncomfortable. But like, <laughs> but like you know, I was without internet for five hours. That's rare. That's awesome. So now I'm like, okay, I'm like going to read a long form book and just I'm going to thumb through and see what I have sitting around on my Kindle, right? That I might not otherwise do. I might not carve out five hours in a given day to do that. I, I typically don't, but I, I did there. Um, you know, editing these videos, like I, I was doing these like rip, I'm just going to like throw it on the dash and just rip and see what happens. Yeah. It's just weird. It's uncomfortable. It, it actually feels uncomfortable while I'm doing it. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I don't like, like I, I described to you that it's looking up my nose. I don't like that aspect of it. So that makes me uncomfortable, but I like doing something that makes me uncomfortable. Totally. I know exactly what you mean. You know, well, a couple of thoughts that come to mind there. One is, um, a book that I just read. Robert Anton Wilson is one of my absolute favorite thinkers of all time. I've shared his long talk. Robert Anton Wilson explores everything on the ideas from the edge Sacrenew. So if any of this resonates with you or anyone listening, like check it out. It's like the best, one of the best talks on the internet by far. It's like six hours, but <laughs> super worth it. And his book Prometheus rising, which is a fascinating kind of like story of evolution, kind of a, reinterpretation of Timothy Leary and some like psychedelic ideas around various circuits in the brain and how we're evolving both physically and spiritually, um, and how those are one and the same. And th there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, and there was something you said about something new that, that sparked for me and I, I forgot what it was, but regardless, maybe it'll come back to me later, but that, that's an example for me of kind of changing my information input recently that yeah. really got me in a good space. And then I think also, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the South America trip. I think, um, you know, being on the road, like some of the best moments of my life have come when I had, yeah, just like completely untraveled, unstructured travel. For example, prior to COVID, I did like eight months vagabonding and it was so wonderful. Uh -huh. And, um, the, some of the best stuff, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but the best one was like, you know, I was originally supposed to go and start off in Brazil. Then I got like very violent food poisoning. And so I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm just gonna go. I was already living in Mexico. Uh -huh. Just go down to Puerto Escondido and the, the beach in Oaxaca. Instead, it's like a much easier flight. If I feel bad, I can just fly back or whatever. And, um, you know, I ended up like doing like, just like, as I met people would just like go wherever they were going and just kind of like, not exactly uh, hitchhiking, yeah. but kind of like through yeah. the mountains and then into the Oaxaca city for multiple weeks and just had some wild experiences. Some of them were very bad. Some of them yeah. were very good, but it felt like living, you know, and yeah. it certainly changed my, uh, my viewpoint. And then last summer when my girlfriend and I went to Europe, you know, we took a week and had no plans. I dropped the email and it was so nice. And we just like, okay, let's go here. Oh, there's a train. And like, right. anyways, I, I think doing some of that unexpected reading, unexpected traveling, those are two ways I found. Yeah. Maybe people are listening to this. If you have ideas, drop in the comments. Yeah. Other ways you like to mix up your input. Yeah, ways to mix the input. The other one that comes to mind when you talk about media input that I've done recently is I, um, I uh, took all, I actually subscribe to a bunch of newsletters hmm. but i don't really have them organized in a way where i can like go to them and browse them yeah so what i did recently is i like just made a 
little filter in my email where I can, you know, label them and then go do them. You skip my inbox and go to that place. And it kind of feels a little bit like reading Noster or Twitter. You know, it's kind of got this discovery element to them, but it's more like discovery around long form content. Cool. Um, so that has changed my inputs because I can now, I now have a way to browse long form content. Yeah. Um, I was playing with an app called Matter. I don't know if you've played with that, but it's kind of a curated reading app. A little bit like a a more maybe a I don't know I don't know if this is how they'd say it but maybe like a a more thinkers version of of like a pocket pocket's like a very utilitarian thing kind of check it out matter yeah, yeah. Um, I I've, I've started to get more into pocket recently I thought I didn't know that was still around yeah it's still around it's, I think Mozilla owns it or something it feels a little like a different era mm. like defunct in a way <laughs> but um but like just changing like when people send me things instead of trying to read them right there i carve out time and do it as a separate activity just another change of inputs doesn't mean that it's better or worse but it's 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 different so i think it's like always exploring the different oh you know feeling like you're not you don't know the answer i love that you know? um Coggy, the search engine, yep. they, the guy that runs that, he has a couple of small related projects. And a big part of their thesis is around this whole movement for the small web, which I know Kian is very, mm-hmm. um, basically non-corporate, like kind of like individuals, sort of the Matt Mullenweg WordPress, WordPress yeah. host your own version. And uh, he had a, one of these search engines, a couple other people had similar ones. He also has like a new kind of like uh, dig like tiny gems, which is kind of nice. And I'm assuming I would love for him or someone else to make a Nostra version of like tiny gems yeah. or dig, um, basically like, or pocket, like, Hey, like the Nostra version where I can see this social, that's actually something I would use a hundred percent is like a discuss or not discuss a, a dig, discuss too, but a dig where someone, you know, I can have the network that I already follow on Nostra and people are posting what they're reading on there. And then you can upvote or downvote zaps. So, so I love that. Kind of, so you're saying, I mean, it's kind of what Stacker News is doing, but you're saying where it's exclusively not just links. It's just a link sharing site, but with with discussions and stuff. Uh, like maybe, curated. maybe you could have discussions as well. I was literally just thinking like a link sharing site, uh-huh. just like here's all the stuff I'm reading. Maybe there's some like mild discussion there as well, but like literally yeah. just like here are my bookmarks, right. and people can up or down, like people can upvote with Zats, and yeah. I bring the social network that I'm already following on Oster. Yeah, that's an experience I would love right now. If anyone's out there looking for an idea, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I mean, even just this discussion, we said like, "What's weird?" <laughs> and here we go. We got a bunch of we got a bunch you know, of new ideas, a bunch of new stuff. And maybe maybe people want to chase something that inspired them from what you said, or maybe they say like, "Oh, you're wrong," but it needs to be like. But this. it needs to be like this. Great, okay, great. Show you know, me. Um, go with it. And then the other thing I was going to say, I remembered from that Robert Anton Wilson book. The other reason I brought it up, besides it is in itself a very interesting input. Um, and he quotes, he quotes a lot of great thinkers in there. I bought way too many books after reading that. It's one of my big addictions. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the general thesis, I think it might've been Marshall McLuhan that said this originally, someone he was referencing, but that, you know, anytime you look like you're having a breakdown, you're actually having a breakthrough. Whenever you have a sufficiently complex system, it's always teetering on the edge of order and disorder, yeah. but that's, that's the beauty. Yeah. The disorder, the re- and then the reclapsing, and then the reclapsing at a higher energy level or yeah. a higher circuit, as he would say in the Timothy Leary parlance. Yes. All right. I love Sounds it. Sounds like a good place that's, to stop. That's a great, yeah. That's a great rep. That's a good bookend. There so, we go. McLuhan. Cool. And, yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks, DK. This was extremely fun. We went on a, a lot of fun. a lot of new rabbit holes. So. <laughs> Bye, guys. Cool. See ya.